everyone, and welcome back to another episode of We're Watching Star Trek, the original series. As always, I'm your Captain Brandon, here with Paul. Yo, yo, what's up, people? Um, ready to get it. It's been a while again. It's like, we do it, do a couple, and then we're gone. We do a couple, and we're gone. We're always gone, but uh, I'm enjoying it, so uh, you know how we do it. Uh, let's get it. Let's go. And uh, the guy a little bit to my north, I guess he would possibly be the king of the north. We've got Dan. Hey, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Let's get the show rolling. The king. the king of the north. The king of the north. King of the no, north. That was we'll my nickname in high school. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the, the king of the nerds? Oh, oh north, my bad. My bad. North. Wow. Same difference. He didn't I'll, have a Star I'll, Trek I'll, podcast I'll take that yet. one too, cool. king of the nerds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so today we are covering season two, episode 15, The Trouble with Tribbles. And uh, original air date for that was December 29th, 1967. Uh, obviously Twitter at WWSC underscore podcast merch link in the description for the episode. I forgot to sneak those in. So now they're in there now. Um, the, uh, enterprise traveling through space and Spock and Kirk and Chekhov are having a little meeting and, uh, Spock informs Kirk that space, space station K seven is within sensor range. So Kirk tells Chekhov that the flight is supposed to provide experience and knowledge, and he asks Chekhov how close they're going to come to the nearest Klingon outpost if they continued on their present course. And Chekhov answers that they're going to be one parsec away, which is close enough to smell them. And Spock says that that's illogical, because odors cannot travel through the vacuum of space. Which one, when, when, he, when he said that, I'm like, is he the Drax of Star Trek? Like, he just doesn't get sarcasm. <laughs> everything you know what? That is kind of, that kind of makes reference or whatever. Um, So, Brandon, this episode... Uh, I hate to say, but I'm on your train about Chekhov. Yeah, I love. I do- I can't stand the actor or his voice or anything about him anymore. And Brandon, I know. I don't know what Brandon saw, but he he found it. <laughs> Whatever he saw in there that I did not. It, it, it's true. I don't like his voice. I don't like his <laughs> acting. It's very. I don't know. It's annoying. And then, and then the whole time, you know, like the running joke in here about the Russians making everything or whatever. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was kind of funny. You know, going through, but like most times, like. What does he add to like? We need to check off episode. Maybe I might like him, but you're right about him. Like I don't like him at all oh, anymore on screen. See, I I actually liked him a lot throughout this episode. Oh my goodness, no! Yeah, you would. I found, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I found him. A, I found him this episode. He's very kind of annoying. Like I don't know his face, man. His face looks everything about him. I find annoying now, and I don't know what brand. You can't blame that. He's Russian. He, you know, they have it tough. Uh, I don't know. He just it, like, even the way he talks, like when he does that Russian accent, which I think he's, I assume he's American. It's, it's terrible. Yeah, Russian. that Russian accent's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like his lip is like it slips up at a weird angle. Like it's really annoying now, and I just noticed it over time. This whole episode, I kept noticing more and more. Oh, now I yeah. now I got to defend him. Thanks, 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 Paul. <laughs> we all I get our him turn. For a whole season, two seasons and a half, man. <laughs> Almost two seasons. I'm done now. Brenda's right. <laughs> The only thing that, that drives me crazy, and it's like specific in this episode at the beginning here, is when he talks about, you know, how everything was made in Russia and everything was discovered by a Russian and all this stuff. Like, he would have gone through Starfleet Academy, and I feel like he should know by now that, like, that stuff is just not true, right? Yeah. <laughs> they keep the light going. It's just like, he just, does he not learn about any of this shit outside of, like, school in Russia? Like, no, at no point in his life. Up to this point with his uh, Starfleet career, no one has ever corrected him on any of this and gone, hey, man, uh, that was a lot of propaganda you were fed. And most of the things, you know, are wrong. Unless he like he really believes it or he just says it out of like as like it's a thing that in history, nobody really knows for sure. 
I'm going to choose to believe that he does it because he knows it pisses everybody off around him. That's, that's, that's my head care. He's just being a deliberate He does dick. it on purpose. Yeah, and, he, uh, he knows that, better. He just does it on purpose. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. Um, yeah, odors can't travel through space. Chekhov says that he was just making a little joke, and Spock replies that it was extremely little. <laughs> that's what she said? <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> Well, that's like the smile, then. <laughs> oh, my God. You made it too easy. I didn't want to do that. You made it. Oh, my goodness. That's where we're going today? Okay. It's going to be one of those episodes. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Kirk asked Spock to give the immediate past history of the Quadrant, which is a great time for some exposition. And Spock explains that it's under dispute between two parties. And the Battle of Donna 2-5 was fought nearby 23, or 23 solar years ago. And that the battle was inconclusive. Kirk asks for an, al- an analysis of the disputed area. So Spock says that it's under, uh, yeah, undeveloped. Um, Sherman's planet is claimed by both sides, the Federation and the Klingon Empire, though the Federation has the better claim. Uh, Chekhov says that the area was first mapped by famous Russian astronomer Ivan Burgoff, and Kirk's like, no, it was John Burke. <laughs> Chekhov does not agree, but Spock interrupts him and basically backs up what Kirk says. You can't really argue with Spock on facts, so... Right, because he knows Let literally go. everything, which is actually kind of getting to the point where it's kind of annoying. But <laughs> he, does, he does a lot of reading in you his know. spare time. Yeah. Um, so then Kirk asks Chekhov if the rest of his history is as faulty as that, and uh, he asks for the key point of the dispute. And Chekhov says that under the terms of the Organian Peace Treaty, one side or the other must prove that it can develop the planet most efficiently. So Kirk says that although the Klingons are brutal and aggressive, they are the most efficient. And then Chekhov starts to speak, but he gets interrupted when Uhura uh, calls Captain Kirk. Which, you know, I was kind of glad that they did it that way, because a lot of times in, like, TV shows or films, they'll just wait for everyone to be done talking, and then, like, the phone or door will randomly get knocked on or, you know, get a phone call. Is this the first time we've heard about uh, the treaties with the whole uh, who can develop what planet first and they get custody of it? I believe so, yeah. They get custody never... of it like it's a child. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a custody, has to face well, possession. What, you know what? You know what I mean. Custody, possession. People, yeah, people know what I mean. It's their planet. It's my planet, not yours. Yeah. Like they, they fighting over like kids. You know, the same right. thing. Yeah, I'm just curious because uh, I guess that I'm interested that that uh, that side of it. If we're going to later on be brought up again, where the as the Cleons and the uh, what are we? What are we? The Starfleet. The, Klingons, the, the Starfleet are against each other. The, the yeah, Federation. The Federation. Yeah against each other and then not be more disputes over uh, planets who can develop them better because if that's the truth and they're better at developing then what how's this even a contest right you know if, if they're more efficient in every way the way the way he kind of spoke it off like oh they're, they're brutal but the more efficient so then how are we even getting any any kind of planets from them in general or is it just or, or is there like uh, laws or do they got to go through stuff that, different for each planet so i'm curious if that is ever gonna be brought up again yeah, and I think it's kind of weird, too, because, like, the way that they've established uh, the Klingons as, like, this warrior race, that they would even agree to a treaty. Like, I know that they said that there was already a battle fought, that it was inconclusive, but I kind of figured the Klingons were the type of people that would just be like, nah, fuck it, we're just going to keep fighting until there's a winner. Like, no treaties. <laughs> yeah, but I think they're, I think uh, they become more and more of that uh, Herculean warrior race over time as, they, as the lore progresses on. But since we're in the original series, I think they're still kind of in the chess match where they're, they're brutal, but they're kind of smart too. 
Yeah, and so I think, but I think later on, life. yeah, like later on, when you see them in the Warf days back in the next generation, you see that they're hundred percent warrior race and they're all about the the war part of it first, and they worry about the other stuff later. So okay, yeah, that could be. So yeah, are they're, we, they're are we saying Klingons are kind of like the Saiyans, pretty much? <laughs> As you know, fight and conquer. Yeah, actually, Klingons are Saiyans. That's exactly what they are. I I, I can go with that. They're just waiting for the legendary super Klingon. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Worf, man, for start the next generation. Come on. <laughs> So Kirk puts uh, Hura on the screen. Uh, they have like a little set of three TVs in the middle of their table. And I'm really glad that they've been using this more recently. Throughout the first season, it, everything was just handled through like the intercom. And now they do like video calling, which, you know, I'm, I'm glad they do that because it helps it seem, I guess, not it futuristic looks amazing. now. That's why. Considering, it, you know, we can do that regularly up, now. but It holds up so well and looks amazing. I put that down in my notes. I'm like, yo, this just looks good. Yeah, the open, uh, going back to the opening episode, a uh, shot of the... The Enterprise, I thought, looked really good. Yeah, everything just looks yeah. like this. Like, it's like, I don't know if they put extra polish on this episode, but, like, everything just looks really good. Like, everything held up in time very well, over the time very well, and I'm just, I'm really impressed by that. Because a lot of things, I watched things from the 90s, and it looks terrible. <laughs> you know, I watched things from the 90s and the eight, early 80s, and they look terrible. So to see something this old, like, late 60s, early 70s, that, look, that looks this good remastered is, like, really good, really cool. Yeah, that's the thing, is any of the shots of the ship or anything in space are all going to be from the remastered edition, so they didn't originally look that nice. But uh, to your point, man, when we watched um, the uh, Deep Space Nine episode, it was noticeably lower, like, film quality. Like, the colors were kind of washed out. It just, it Mm -hmm. felt like I was watching, uh, like, I had gone to the store, and, like, they had a 4K TV there, and then next to it was, like, a 90s tube television. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, that's what we were watching. Like, it just felt weird. It felt worse quality than this remastered edition. Man. Which it probably was. So. so, yeah, he puts Uhura on the screen, and uh, she informs him that she's picking up a subspace distress call from Space Station K7 on the Priority Channel. So Kirk orders them to go to Warp Factor 6 as Chekhov notes that, that that's a Code 1 emergency and that it's a disaster call. So Uhura places the Enterprise on red alert, and then we go to the show opening. And then we get, you know, some sweet bass and all that. I know you guys don't watch it, but I still watch it every time. Uh, I skipped it this time. Is it your your, uh, phone ringtone yet? It is not. My my phone, you know what my phone does when it rings? It makes a ringing noise. Oh, you classic, huh? (laughs) If I have the the volume on, and that's rare. I don't want to get deep into it, but I don't have no ringtones anymore. I got older. I got the regular center sound, too. Yep. Yeah. Everybody used to walk around with like their favorite song on there, and then like, yeah, just like it was everybody's favorite outdated. song. And then you, I had songs for my friends, different songs with different friends. That way, when who called me with the song played, different songs played, so I knew who it was. Yeah. yeah. In in general, my phone is on silent because let me tell you, there's nothing that annoys me more than being thrust into a group chat. Oh yeah. Without my without my knowledge and my consent, and then that group <laughs> yes. chat just goes off. I hate that. And my phone makes a noise <laughs> yes. every second and a half. Drives for me real. fucking crazy. My phone's on. Everybody, everybody here knows my phone's always on silent. Like I rarely check my phone. I check my yeah. phone like once a day. It's pretty bad. So and now yeah. our audience is like, man, we listen to a bunch of old people because they hate talking to people. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I ever needed to get a hold of you in case of emergency, I think I would have better luck sending like a carrier pigeon with a message than texting or calling you. <laughs> yeah, dude, it I would probably like, reach you first. For real. Or message me on PlayStation. Uh, (laughs) Or or, or, or iMessage. I don't know. Something. Yeah. I don't have my phone ever. 
Um, so we come back from show opening. We have a captain's log explaining that the priority one call is more than an emergency and that it signals near or total disaster. So they assume that the Klingons have attacked the station and they're proceeding armed and ready for battle. So we're on the bridge and Chekhov has armed the phasers and they get a view of the space station on their screen and it's perfectly fine. It's just kind of chilling there. Nothing wrong with it. No ships around it. No issues. And it looks amazing, by the way. Once again, I want to bring that up. It looks really good. I got a little, I got a little thrown off in this scene because I thought the space station was already in a planet, and the planet was just gone. I'm like, oh, well, this episode just <laughs> oh, got okay, really for, crazy. For, for a split second, I thought it was the same thing. Actually, I thought, I thought the position, I thought it was a planet was gone too. For a, for a split second, I thought that I was like, oh, wait a minute, maybe it's just orbiting. Yeah, I feel like um, there probably had to have been a nearby planet, right? Because you're not just gonna have a space station in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So there's probably a near Sherman's planet, and they just never showed the planet. Yeah, they, they talk about it, but they never show it exactly. So I was just, I was curious about that. Yeah. Also, yeah, the space station looks really good, but it ain't no Starbase Ten. <laughs> <Just throw it. laughs> That's true. No flashing lights. So uh, Kirk has Uhura break their subspace silence, and he calls the space station and asks what their emergency is. And a Mr. Lurie, the manager of the station, answers Kirk and apologizes for the distress call. And Kirk gets pretty pissed off. And uh, he angrily says that they issued a distress call and he needs to state the nature of their emergency. And Lurie's like, well, you know, maybe you should just come over here and I'll try to explain it to you. Which I feel like that would be a trap. Like immediately, if I was Kirk, I would be like, that's that's not right. I wrote it down. Me. I wrote down trap. I was like, yo, this sounds like a trap, yo. Like, are you smarter than this? And then like, like they don't do scans. Right. Like, like they didn't, they said nothing like, oh, scans, there's 30 bodies there. Or scans, there's something going on. Or like, I haven't, like, they could transport right into people holding guns on a transporter. Yeah. And then it, then it stuck, Then we got a captain and the people are captured immediately. You know what I'm saying? I just, sometimes their security measures in here are kind of dumb. Well, or, like, I, or like, not, not thoughtful. And to your point also, why didn't they uh, do like a video call? Like, it was just, you know, yeah. voiceover. Yeah. Like, turn, turn on the camera who, yeah, and show just, me what's going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is smart. Maybe, yeah, maybe you don't want camera, that. Man. You don't know what he does <laughs> in his office. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> What's the emergency? He needs more tissues? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. He ran out of lotion. It hasn't been in a supply in weeks. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need it now. <laughs> uh, so, Kirk, uh, he gets pissed off, and he says that Larry had better be prepared to do more than explain, and then he hangs up on him. But, like, how? Like, what more does he want? Like, you better be ready to explain and cook me breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't know what's going on. Yeah, so Kirk takes Spock to the transporter room and has Chekhov remain uh, battle readiness with the rest of the crew. And uh, Kirk and Spock, they beam down to the station, and Kirk immediately questions Larry about the call. And uh, there's another guy there, and he speaks up, because Kirk's like, hey, like, on whose order did you give that distress call? And the guy says that it was his order. So Lurie introduces the man as uh, Niels Barris, and he is there from Earth to take charge of the development project for Sherman's planet. So Kirk asks Barris, he's like, hey, does that give you the authority to put an entire quadrant on defensive alert? And then another guy, uh, who is Barris's assistant, he speaks up and he says that Barris is the Federation undersecretary in charge of agricultural affairs in the, quad- in the quadrant. And Spock's like, yeah, that one, that gives him the authority. It, <laughs> Kirk's it, just like, oh, and, and like, <laughs> got right. I heard that, I'm like, well, that sounds like a bureaucrat bullshit job. Yeah, it really does. Um, um when he says quadrant, like, does that mean it's in like a mass back out to all nearest starbase ships? Like, come emergency level emergency, we need help, or is it just to the enterprise particular? 
I think it was just anybody within a set amount of range from the station. So like any okay. of the, anybody from Starfleet in that area. Okay. I don't know. I'm, I guess I haven't researched how many Starfleet ships are, uh, ships are out there at one time. I know. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Because we haven't ran into, like, it's it's kind of weird. We don't run into other ships that often. Right. I, I don't, I'm yeah, so, like, I think the last one we I saw was destroyed big, and floating. I know how big the, the universe is about that, you know. But I'm just surprised we don't run into people, what, maybe one time? We ran into another ship? Maybe right. once? Well, I, I'm kind of interested to know how big a qual- Qualtrin is. Like, how many solar systems does it take to make up one? Right. Yeah. Yeah, just just real just real specific, like little small spacey nerd talk. Like I just want to know, like I guess my brain wants to know the area of what my yeah. bra- I'm trying to imagine it and I want to let my brain to be able to imagine it right. So you know, so I'm trying to figure things out. So Right. Yeah, like how do you draw borders in space? <laughs> yeah, 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 my, yeah, I'm just trying well, to well, that's, in my head trying to figure things and out. And that's probably why the Federation has ships stationed everywhere because you gotta protect your interests. Right. Yeah, but what, I just we have run into any other ships. I'm just curious. We don't accidentally run into or well, like well, there, there, get together the, or whatever. I just we, there, they talk about like the the Federation Vulcan Wars. They have uh, like the, the neutrals. Oh wait, no, not Vulcan. Are you thinking Romulan? Romulan, yeah, Romulan. Yeah, yeah the Romulan. Vulcan. Yeah, yeah. Well, same yeah. thing, pretty much. But I think the reason like the Enterprise doesn't run into a whole lot, which they they run into more people than I thought that they were going to on this journey. But I mean, they literally say that they're there to. Like seek out new and exciting life or or whatever the hell it is. I forget. I listen to it literally every single time I oh, watch the intro. New civilization. Okay, so you're saying that since they're going out to newer places, they're not running into anybody else because everywhere they're going is more new. Right. So nobody's been in that area before. Okay. Yeah. That makes that makes that makes sense. Now we say it like that. You would think I would know it by now. We're like what forty something episodes in, and I've listened to it every time, and I still can't remember it. Said to seek life and seek new civilization. Yeah, to, to, to boldly find, go where no man has gone yeah. before. To find new shit and see new gods, basically. No, it's and, funny and then destroy like, them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. R- 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 random question. I'll, I'll go off. When you hear that song in your head, do you hear the version for the original series, like that, like that version of it? Because I hear the Next Generation version in my head, the, their theme song. Yeah, I, I, I think I, of the original series one. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. See. Every time I do it, I do the Next Generation's theme in my head when I do it or whatever. Every time. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why. It's just stuck in my head that way. But I, kn- I know the, the Next Generation theme, and it's a it's a banger. Like, that's a that's a really good opening Yeah, it, it's in my head still. Like, I just, every time I do the song, I always do, the, do it that way. It's a hell of a lot better than the one for Deep Space Nine was. I don't know what the hell that was, but that was an awesome opening. It was, it was, it was uh, pretty fans out terrible. There that got to hear the Deep Space Nine, I'm kind of jealous because I haven't got to watch any any other Star Trek things I've never seen before. So they're talking about Deep Space Nine to get a little jealous over here. I didn't get to see any <laughs> of the cool old school greatness or whatever. So yeah, well, when we finish this podcast in like 2055, you can watch other Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> when we're done with this season, ten years from now, ten, maybe you're looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Barris uh, introduces his assistant as Arn Darvin. It's kind of hard to pronounce. Say that one ten times fast. And Kirk introduces Spock to everyone. And Barris says that he wants all of Kirk's available security guards posted around the storage compartments. And Kirk does not understand. So Darwin explains that the storage compartments contain, and I'm going to murder this, I knew I will, uh, quadratriticale is what they call it. Yeah, quadratriticale. Uh, Let's call it Q-cubes. Yeah. Kirk has no idea what that is. He's like, what, 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 what is that? Like, he comes off like a real dumbass. Right here. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, we? What? <laughs> yeah. Well, technically, he was so, right. Yeah. Uh, Lurie hands him a small container, and Kirk pours the contents of it into his hand, and he's like, yeah, it's wheat. 
And Barris says that it's not wheat, but he wouldn't expect Kirk or Spock to know such things. And of course, Spock has to interrupt him, and he explains that Quadratriticale is a high-yield grain, a four-lobed hybrid of wheat and rye, a perennial also. And its root grain, uh, Triticale, can trace its ancestry all the way back to 20th century Canada. And then Kirk interrupts him, and he's like, yeah, I, I think you, you made your point on that one. And I really think I want to punch dude in the face immediately. Yep. I yeah. got the sound of his voice, and I thought, you know what? Hmm. This guy needs punched. Like, he's going to be one of those guys. He, yeah. He's going to be one of those guys, because they have a habit of, like, when they find the real annoying guy, the uh, old school style, they make it the extreme version of it. Yeah. Like, he has to be the most pretentious, most annoying, most hateful. And everything about this guy, including his voice and his face, are, are things I don't like. <laughs> so, like, they really put the really good person for this thing because he was like, I don't like him the whole time. time so. I just, the, the other thing is, like, he's a grain snob. Like, does anybody like a grain snob? Like, come on. <laughs> Like, you're gonna be snobby about something, you know. Like, I think it's something better than grain. You're not smart enough to understand farming. <laughs> yeah. If I was rich, I'd be a grain snob because I only have wheat bread only. Yeah, in just, my just house. Wheat. Only the <laughs> finest wheat, wheat bread <laughs> only in my house. You bring white yeah. bread in my house? <laughs> wheat bread only. Only wheat grown from the finest soils, water with the <laughs> finest water. <laughs> the wettest water you could ever find. <laughs> the wettest water. Fed with Fuji, Fuji with uh, fed with Fuji, Fuji purified water. Well, I can't even yeah. talk. None of that Aquafina shit. Aquafina. <laughs> uh, so Lurie says that it's uh, the only Earth grain that will grow on Sherman's planet, and they have several tons of it on the station. And it's very important that the grain gets to the planet safely. And he explains that Barris thinks that the Klingon agents may try to sabotage it. So Kirk gets angry that Barris issued a priority distress call for a couple of tons of wheat. And uh, Draven corrects him. He's like, quadratriticale. <laughs> right. still, it's still wheat. But uh, Kirk gives him an angry stare. And uh, Barris is trying to talk. But Kirk interrupts him and says that he's summoned the Enterprise without an emergency. And that he's going to have to take full responsibility for it. Barris doesn't understand. So Spock explains that misuse of the priority one channel is a Federation offense. Barris argues that he didn't misuse the channel, and then Lurie asks Kirk if he can at least post a couple of guards because they have a large number of ships passing through the station. So Spock agrees that, yeah, it would be a logical precaution because of how important uh, the Sherman's planet affair is to the Federation. So Kirk calls Ahura and has her beam down two, and only two, guards. And then he authorizes shore leave to all the off-duty uh, off personnel. You know, be before we move on, so the guy wants, you know, guards to protect his grain. Have you not seen the casualty list of what happens to the guards? <laughs> right? He's like, I, I want two of your best. And Kirsch is like, ah, they're still not great. <laughs> they get beamed down here. Yeah. I mean, he, he may as well just beam down two corpses and like, here you go. <laughs> they protect it. Here you go. Yeah, it's my average guard right here. I'm just curious why they didn't just send out a signal asking for help for guards. Yeah. Like, why did he hit the, like, he's so annoying with, oh, this is the pro one, uh, priority one, get here now. Like, da, da. I'm like, bro, if you just sent a message, like, hey, 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 Kirk, uh, we need it. We need somebody to protect. We, we're, we're worried about dangerous. Can you please help us out? You know, please help us out. You got guys, take short leave here, a couple guards to protect us, you know, like, he took right. it so far to the next level, he was unlikable well, pretty quick. Th this guy is also probably a wealthy individual. Why didn't he just hire a bunch of guards to protect his grain? Hey, you don't get wealthy by spending money. Oh yeah, you just use, like I'm gonna use the government to protect my shit. <laughs> have we seen any? Have we seen any mercenaries yet in this world yet? Like I any kind of so, but there has to be some, people? right? You, yeah, oh, there have be. to be. Well, no. Um, 
Oh yeah, that one guy who, who sung that dumb song about himself. He was kind of a mercenary person, but I can't remember who from that one thing. I think we, we met one mercenary. He stole drugs. Our, our oh, oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> hey, I need proof of him being a mercenary, but not selling those drugs. <laughs> yeah, it's a step too far. One of the, we had one of the, we had one guy in one episode. I can't remember which one it was. Where his his lore was, he was going around selling things. We like we all liked the character, but he was only in for that one episode or whatever. I can't remember who. I'll, I'll figure it out later on. Damn, I head. don't remember. Yeah. And then uh, we actually liked the character. He was like his, he was like he was like a mercenary type character who did who did different uh, missions. So whatever. So I guess they kind of exist. I know we've seen him before, at least a few. But I'd never seen him like involved in like Starfleet business, like guarding Starfleet stuff. So I'm assuming that you can't hire no regular people. Oh, to come I'm sure guard not. No Starfleet. Uh, product. So well, sure honestly, they probably consider mercenaries uh, uh, an illegal group, if anything. Yeah, like you, the U.S. military wouldn't hire like mall security to guard their bases. <laughs> I would, I would hope <laughs> it's not. not <laughs> yeah, because I always, Paul, forget, Paul, I always forget. The, Paul Blart or whatever he was. Yeah, <laughs> Paul Blart. Like Paul Blart, we need you to guard our nukes. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes I forget that the Federation is kind of military. That's the next movie. Oh, he needs to take yeah, wow. I'm getting a hold of him. What, Paul Blart? Uh, yep. Listen, Kevin, I got a, I got a movie for you, buddy. <laughs> We're bringing Paul Blart back. Barris is offended that Kirk only offered two men, and Kirk says that he has never questioned the orders or the intelligence of any representative of the Federation, and then he turns and walks away, and then he stops and turns back around, and he says, until now, and then he, like, scurries out of the room. So it's, like, just really childish and weird of Kirk in this scene. But, you know what, I really enjoyed it because that was kind of his middle finger to him. Yeah. At first, I was like, "It's this is kind of like not Kirk at all." But then, I as it, it went on, I kind of figured like the way that he treats this guy is it's probably exactly Kirk. Like this is probably young Kirk coming out. Like this is probably exactly how he was. Like just being a a cocky, arrogant, like just kind of prick, like coming up. I bet that's exactly how he was. Like this is probably real Kirk right here. We haven't liked any of these guys though. These like, these Commodores, these like these these top level guys. They've all come off a little pretentious and yes. uh, like power, do it, you're told or else type guys. Yeah. This guy in charge of wheat is so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk's like, I got that little thing into this asshole. <laughs> hey, listen, if all the wheat gone, all the food's gone, technically he'd be real, he'd be we in trouble. So, yes, his, his job is semi important. Okay. Hey, we need to eat. Kirk is Gary Mitchell level at stopping, you know, godlike beings. Like he doesn't, yeah. he, he doesn't have to take it from a wheat guy. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking wheat dick. Uh, but a little bit later, um, Kirk and Spock are having a drink at a bar. Well, Kirk is having a drink. Spock's just hanging out, and uh, they're just kind of talking about the the issue with the wheat thing and the wheat dick. And Kirk finishes his drink, and they go to leave, but they run into Ahura and Chekhov. And uh, Uhura, he, Kirk's just kind of like, yeah, you know, you didn't take any time taking your leave. And she's like, well, when do I ever get a leave? Which is uh, seems like a lot because she misses a lot of episodes. Yeah, yeah she's never there. Yeah. <laughs> she has FMLA. <laughs> she has some medical history, you know, medical issues. She calls in a lot. When she's there, she does a great job, but she's just never there. <laughs> That's why they won't let her go. I'm not involved. <laughs> uh Chekhov explains that Uhura wanted to go shopping and that he decided to help, which is really weird, and he has to have an ulterior, ulterior motive. Like, I don't see him and Uhura just hanging out. No, he's just hanging out chilling. But yeah, let's go. Let's chill. Let's hang out together. We're just friends. So a man in a, a really big coat comes in, and he just walks past them and excuses himself, and uh, Kirk and Chekhov 
or Kirk asks Chekhov what he makes of the small container containing the Quadratriticale. And Chekhov immediately recognizes it, and he says that he's read about it, but he's never seen any before. So Kirk, he's like, well, does everybody know about this that, but me? And Chekhov says that it, it's a Russian invention, and Kirk is not amused, and he and Spock leave. <laughs> like, I'm so tired of hearing about Russia. Yeah, he didn't even address that one. He's like, okay, yeah, I'm out. Uhura and Chekhov overhear the uh, the guy that excused himself earlier, and uh, he's arguing with the bartender. And the guy in the coat, he's some kind of trader, and he's trying to sell various items to the bartender, but the bartender is not interested. And I did not do the notes of the uh, the full conversation here because it's just a back and forth of him them like trying to you know sell shit. Did, did originally did you think that they were trying to set up like customers like like oh hey. Uh... Because it kind of looked like they were winking at each other about like trying to set the price as soon as Ahura was showing interest. Yeah, it did kind of seem that way. But it seemed like later on in the episode, like he was annoyed, right? By the I think it was a combination of both. Oh, okay, I can see that. Like he was trying to get her to like it, and then he was trying to get the buy- and then he was going to buy it from him and then resell it to her. Right. So like I, I think he was just kind of in the middle, in the middle of doing two things at once. What struck me as really weird is that this uh, merchant just walks up to a bartender and starts selling him things like this. Are we in Skyrim? Like, does the bartender <laughs> own the establishment or does he just work there? Like, he just shows up and is like, like, I can't just take a bunch of shit into a restaurant and be like, yeah, you guys want to buy these and sell them yourself? Like, well, I don't think that's how that works. Have you tried it? Maybe you can do that. I have not. Yeah, I, I have not. Look, I found some rocks outside. Would you, you like just... to buy them off me? I'm pretty. I'm assuming he goes up to all. I assume he goes to space stations and places, whatever, and offer them to sell them stuff. As we find out later, right? So I don't know. Maybe that's a normal job. I mean, where that is goes around selling antiques and selling things. Yeah, it's just weird. But also, like the stuff he's trying to sell is some kind of like flame crystal and some other thing. And the guy's like, "Yeah, I already have those." And he's like, "Oh, how about this elixir?" And he's like, "Yeah, I have a lot of that, and I use it to polish the crystals." But like, you're a bartender. What are you doing with these items? <laughs> Like how how do you move these? They're not displayed anywhere. Is, is he a bar? Is that is he a bartender? Is that all he is? Yeah. yeah well, in the uh, subtitles, when he was off screen and he was talking, it came up as bartender. Mm, okay. Maybe he has a maybe he has another job that he just doesn't talk about in the episode. Maybe he's a yeah. <laughs> he traffics rocks. But like, <laughs> and then let's let's say he buys all these tribbles and he does, and he just keeps them below the counter. Like, how do you move that merchandise? Like, somebody's like, "Hey, you know, I'd like some scotch," and he's like, "Oh, cool. How about a tribble to go with that?" Like, how do you sell that thing with your drinks? Buy one, <laughs> buy one get one. Yeah, <laughs> one get one, <laughs> one tribble. But anyway, oh. uh, the buy trader one, pulls out this little fluffy ball and it catches Ahura's eye. And she asks if it's alive and if she can hold it. And so the trader lets her hold it, and he says that it's a triple. And he says that it's the sweetest creature known to man, except for her, obviously. So uh, the triple starts purring and, like, kind of trilling, and she pets it. And she asks if he's selling them. And the trader tries to get the bartender to buy them at 10 credits each. And he's like, yeah, obviously, like, she's interested. Like, there's interest here. You'll, you won't have any trouble reselling these. And uh, Chekhov asks if the triple bites. And the trader says that transporting harmful animals from one planet to another is against regulations and that tribbles don't have any teeth. So uh, the bartender and the trader, they kind of haggle a little bit and then they settle on six credits apiece. And Ahura asks the bartender uh, how much he's selling them for and he says he's going to sell them for ten credits. And at some point, like, Chekhov has set the tribble on the bar 
and he notices that uh, he spilled some of the wheat on the bar and that the triple is over there uh, eating it. And yeah. so the, the trader, he picks up the triple and he's like the, the, uh, the bartender is like, he gets mad. Cause he's like, like, Hey, that's kind of my triple. And he's like, no, this one's my sample. And he decides he's going to give it to Uhura. And he explains to the bartender that once Uhura starts to show it around the station, he's not going to have any trouble selling the ones that he just bought. You know, and as soon as this whole scene went down, I instantly saw it. This movie's going to turn into Gremlins. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it you kind know, of... Some... Eh, I guess they just reproduce. Eh, well, I'll, we'll get into that later. Yeah. Uh, like, like Mugwise? Um, I just... I don't know. Like, sometimes I hate the way they, like... I'm not trying to be like a the like feminist type whatever, but then I hate the way they depict the women like who are like she got all I don't know yeah like instead of being tough and being like whatever she was like she got all like I can't I don't know what, you know what I'm trying to say like yeah oh, oh this cute like animal like got all way too girly whatever instead of being like tough whatever and sort of bringing up love whatever so like they turned the character was like a strong character like a strong like character like a character like real strong moments until like this i don't know started getting all super whatever about this little dumb trouble can't 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 she be both can't be she be a strong woman and be like lovey-dovey for animals don't don't (laughs) jump across this screen and start fighting you right now so that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying like no it's the extreme version of it though it's the it's the it's the the, do the extreme maybe in fairness when you're out in space for a long time Oh, I see. You get dumb. No, you don't you, get and dumb. You, but, and, and, and you start, you start thinking like, oh, you know, maybe I should use common sense about these these troubles hey, instead of. Hey, humans like animals, like cats, dogs. Like mm. it can't be helped. Hey, she got. I just think she got to extreme like level ten level of of whatever well, was when seeing this triple. Well, also later on, uh, when. Uh, Spock and McCoy are talking about them. They say that they put off some kind of like purring frequency that like uh, uh, it scatters the brain. Is it, you can have too much love. That is, oh my god! <laughs> later in this episode, I'm telling you, man. Uh, but it's a, okay. You know what? I'm not gonna do it now. I'll, I'll, I'll go right, off well, with we'll, it. We'll, we'll let it continue. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna say that my issue with the triple is that they are not cute. It's just a ball of fur. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a faceless, <laughs> stupid little ball of fuzz. <laughs> like that. It's it's a, a tumbleweed basically. No, they, got some like t- they got some mouths on there somewhere. You just can't see them because they they do eat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we go a little bit later. Kirk gets a call from Uhura who patches him through to Admiral Fitzpatrick from Starfleet. And uh, he puts it on the screen and the Admiral explains that the shipment of grain must be protected. And he orders Kirk to render any aid and assistance that Barris requires effective immediately. So the Admiral hangs up and Uhura calls Kirk uh, saying that sensors are picking up Klingon battlecruiser rapidly closing in on the station. So they go to red alert and then uh, Kirk goes back to the ship. And we're on the Enterprise on the bridge, and Kirk contacts Lurie to put and puts him on the screen. And Lurie says that uh, he doesn't think that the Klingons plan to attack. And Kirk's like, "Why? Why do you think that?" And Lurie says that the captain of the Klingon ship is sitting in his office. And then dun, we get dun, dun. one of the funniest things because, like, in character, like, so the screen, so he's watching, right? He's watching on the view screen, and the view pulls back to reveal two Klingons that are just hanging out with this guy, and it's like. <laughs> Why did he set this up this way to be this dramatic? <laughs> like, why is he being so dramatic about this? Why didn't he have his, like, webcam set up to show the whole room? 
He's like, I'm, I know. When <laughs> yeah, Kirk calls he, me, he, I'm going to be like, I don't think there's a problem, Kirk. And then I'm going to do like a slow reveal. Like, why did he do that? It was all part of his master plan. Like, I understand, <laughs> I understand the context for the viewer, like the surprise for the viewer. But like in world, why would he set it up that way? <laughs> Dramatic effect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Kirk cancels the red alert and he and Spock go to the transporter room to beam back down to the station. And we get a commercial break from there. So we come back, from, we get a captain's log, just explains the situation, and Kirk walks into Lurie's office and he is sarcastically greeted by the Klingon captain Koloth, and Koloth says that his intentions are peaceful and that he's there to invoke shore leave rights. He says that they're not as luxury-minded as Earthlings and their ships aren't equipped with non-essentials, and he says that they cannot be refused under the terms of the Organian Peace Treaty. So Kirk says that uh, he doesn't make those decisions, but it's and it's up to Lurie. And Lurie is like super rude here. Like, he pulls yeah. Kirk aside and he's like, "I don't want those guys here, but I don't have the authority to make them leave." I like the way he's the way he said non-essentials. Like, oh, well, what are you implying, sir? Like, they don't have anything know, fun on their ship. Yeah, non-essentials. Like what food? Like what? <laughs> what are non-essentials to you? Because like. I don't like the way you looked. They don't have any books. They don't have any magazines. They got no yeah, video games. Like, they got and nothing. Then he saw, you see how quick he, he, he softened up? He was like, hey, yo, man, I don't want these guys here, man. Like, help me out, yeah. dude. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on, Kurt. Please. Yeah. Save After me. his dramatic reveal. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> so uh, Kirk says that he has the authority to act, and he turns to Koloth and says that his men can have shore leave, but only 12 at a time. And he says that he'll have one security guard for every Klingon on the station. So Koloth uh, laughs, and he says that there's been no formal declaration of hostilities between their governments, so their relationship is going to be peaceful. And then they leave. I, I, wish, Kirk would have, I wish Kirk would have said, I'm, I'm more or less doing this out of spite. So, not to you guys, yeah. to uh, <laughs> the dude that called me the dramatic reveal. Yeah, it's not that I I think it's okay. I don't think it's okay for you guys to be here, but I just don't like the wheat guy. So (laughs) yeah, go ahead and be here. I don't care. And why pick the number twelve? Like that's a random number. I see. I feel like that's a lot of guys. We don't do ten. Like tens though. What we do around here, we do you know one, two, ten. Like normally we don't. You know, it's either one, two, or ten. Normally when we do something, right? You got ten guys here. Like the number twelve is kind of random. Yeah. Um, but we get a shot of the Enterprise and the Klingon Warbird circling the space station. And the Klingon ship is actually pretty cool looking. Um, well, it's a little bit later and we're back on the Enterprise. And Kirk walks into a recreational area to see Scotty reading a technical journal. And uh, he goes to this little table filled with people. And each one of them has their own Tribble. So McCoy asks Uhura how long she's had that. And she says that she had it since yesterday. And that this morning she found out it had babies. So Kirk's like... Well, are, are you running a nursery? And she says that she hadn't intended to, but the Tribble had other plans. So Kirk asks uh, if she got that at the station, and Spock just finds the Tribble interesting, and he says that its trilling has a tranquilizing effect on the human nervous system. And, of course, he is uh, immune to its effects, as he's just, like, slowly just stroking this <laughs> Tribble. Uh, Kirk and Spock exit, and uh, McCoy is in there, and he asks Uhura if he can take one down to the lab to check it out. And she says it's okay. But if he's going to dissect it, she does not want to know. And he assures her that he's not going to harm a hair on its head or wherever that is. Which, like, its whole thing, like, its whole body is its head, I feel like. I feel like it's just a head. I don't even know. I'm just curious. They never really explained the anatomy of them at all, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the character itself. So, uh, 
McCoy exits, and the other crew members ask if they can have one, and she says that she thinks the Tribbles are old enough now, and uh, she lets everybody take one. Which, like, how does she know? (laughs) She literally has had this thing for a day, and she's like, "Yeah, it's fine. You can take them away from my parents." There you go. Yeah, I didn't want want to take care of them all anyway. Okay, here's my my issue with this. How is Kirk? okay with them having these things on the Enterprise. There has to be a regulation about pets on the Enterprise, right? <laughs> or on, yeah, or on seen, any of their ships? We haven't seen any pets the whole time, I don't think. And, There's no uh, fucking way they're cool with you letting, like, cool with you taking animals on their ship. Taking animals around the ship? Just for fun? Yeah. We, have, we, haven't see, we haven't seen any animals on the ship, have we? No. No. Not at all. And Kirk is just, like, strangely cool with this. He's like, oh, yeah, foreign... You know, alien animal? Yeah, just let him be all over the ship. I don't care. Not that it's a good excuse for Kirk, but maybe he's just so annoyed with the weak guy that he's just not really caring about, you know, pets being on the Enterprise at this point. Kurt's episode of Attitude is very un-Kurt-like in a way. Like, it's almost like he's having fun. Like, he's like having fun with the Troubles and having fun with the... Like, like, uh, messing with this guy. Like, he's just having a fun episode. And I don't think that's really what Kurt would do. No, because Kurt's kind of the. I mean, I can see Kurt being kind of okay at first with having an animal, but tell hey, make sure you keep it in your um, keep it in your room. But uh, I just don't understand that like, his attitude through this whole situation was kind of chill. It was kind of like way too relaxed, especially for being Kurt. Yeah, I feel like at the very least he would want to know everything about this animal before they brought it on board, because none of mm-hmm. them know a single thing about the Tribbles. Yep, and that's how they got into the situation that they got in. But before we get there, uh, we're in a corridor, and Kirk and Spock are walking when Chekhov pages Kirk to tell him that Barris is waiting to speak to him on Channel E. So Chekhov patches it through, and Barris lets Kirk know that the station is swarming with Klingons. Kirk says that he didn't know that 12 Klingons constitutes a swarm. So yeah, he's just being <laughs> smart ass. 12 Klingons is a swarm, okay. <laughs> Two swarms coming. Yeah. Barris says that he wants Kirk to keep the grain safe, and Kirk says that he has guards around the grain and guards around the Klingons, and the only reason those guards are there is because Starfleet wants them there. And he says that Barris, uh, what what Barris wants, has been noted and logged, and then he just hangs up on him. So Spock asks Kirk where he's going, and Kirk says that he's going to go to the sick bay because he has a headache. So he goes to sick bay, and McCoy asks, uh, or he asks McCoy what he has for a headache, and McCoy's like, "Well, is it Klingons or is it Barris?" And Kirk's like, "Well, it's both." So, <laughs> McCoy, I thought McCoy was going to get him a drink. Honestly, I thought that's where we were going. I, for this. I thought that, yeah, I truly thought he was going to get him a drink. Yeah, because then he did the first at the beginning. Oh no, yeah, that's that, what happened. Pike pilot. Did. Yeah, that's what Pike did. Yeah, Pike did with them. They got together uh, and had drinks. But I'm pretty sure that's happened at least once uh, after the pilot as well. Yeah, I believe yeah. so. When we first met Kirk, what were they doing that when they first met and talking to each other? I don't know. I, I, I remember. I remember. Like right at the beginning of an episode, we introduced to it was either Pike or Kirk. Right at the beginning, we first met them, and I thought it was maybe it was McCoy came in and poured a drink. For, the doctor, a doctor came in and poured a drink no, together. That, yeah, that was the pilot with uh, Pike and a different doctor. But at one okay. point, Kirk has gone to the sick bay with McCoy, and McCoy has poured them a drink. Drink, yeah, okay. Well, I All thought right. it was a, a random thing. Yeah, I thought that's where we were going here. But no, he actually gets him like some Advil or something. I don't know. They don't say. It's just headache medicine. And uh, Kirk sees the tribbles that McCoy has there, and he asks how many Uhura gave him. And McCoy says it's just one. But and Kirk's like, well, now there are 11, which I think would immediately be alarming, and you would be like, get these off my ship. <laughs> yeah, for real. But, uh, and he counted pretty fast, too, by the way. 
Yeah. He was like, I mean, it's, it's only 11. Hit. Yeah, he didn't point. No, he didn't point though. Go like that. He just kind of just knew the number though. <laughs> he I was saying, like, he, you didn't see him count though. I'm just saying, I would guess a good. It's about eight or nine there, man. Like, about he, he said <laughs> he eleven for count sure. His fingers and take off his <laughs> yeah. shoe to use his toes. <laughs> no, he didn't like do the like when you point and count thing. <laughs> yeah. Like what he do is just he, what he just. Like you have to point and count. You can't just count in your head. Come on. Maybe, yeah, you, break, you break them into groups. Maybe he has a oh, what's that ability? Uh, the Rain Man, where you can just look at something and uh, eidetic memory or whatever. I would I would break them into groups of five. And you've got two groups of five, and then one. It's eleven. He didn't even look <laughs> into the break them down to the group of five. He just guessed. He just said there were eleven. You just see him count. He didn't do the finger thing. Okay. Oh, I'm if getting concerned that you can't look at eleven things and count them within like two seconds without using your fingers. <laughs> it's eleven things. Dude, look at them. They all look different and whatever look at the pile of the the tribbles okay if the if, if the tribbles all look different you might count the same one twice you got to take your time and count each one that time in there is okay if you want an exact number man see whatever use your fingers point you are really hurting how our international listeners listeners view us <laughs> i'm just saying dumbass like, americans I'm saying that there's like tw- 10 things on the ground, 11 things on the ground, and I want to count. I point at each one and count. I don't sit there and count without look, like without pointing. I don't know why. I got a point. He didn't point. He didn't count. Therefore, his numbers shouldn't be right. I'm just saying. Are you like one triple? Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Two, Two triples. <laughs> Three triples. Oh my gosh! You see what I do with people every day. As I get on here, they're haters. I mean, every day, they're all hating on me. I feel, I feel uh, bullied. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Kirk gets his headache medicine, and uh, he starts to ask McCoy how they reproduce. But McCoy says that he hasn't figured that out yet. But he can say that almost fifty percent of the triples' metabolism is geared for reproduction. And he asks uh, what you get if you feed a triple too much, and Kirk's like. I don't know, a fat triple? <laughs> Come on, McCoy Kirk, you says know you this. get a whole bunch of Come on, man, of course. Uh, McCoy says you get a whole bunch of hungry little triples. And Kirk suggests that McCoy open up a maternity ward and then he just leaves. And uh, yeah, this is the point where I'm like, how is Kirk not concerned by this? <laughs> so, later, uh, Kirk is in the transporter room with Scotty and the other or Scotty and others. And uh, he's giving them all this little speech, and uh, he says that everyone on shore leave should stay in groups and avoid trouble with the Klingons. And he asks Scotty if he's going to go on shore leave, and Scotty says that no, he is not. But Kirk uh, says he wants him to go on leave, and he wants him to make sure that everyone stays out of trouble. And Scotty starts to argue, but he gives in. Scotty looks like, I I got something going on right now. Like, I really don't want to go down. Well, earlier he was really enjoying reading those technical manuals, because... Kirk was like, like, don't you ever take a break? And he's like, yeah, I am on break. <laughs> he's just yeah, reading yeah. those manuals. I'm reading, man. I'm on break. Yeah, he's that one guy that reads, reads a, that damn break, yeah. Yep. I, I, um, hey, I read I, during I did break. I kind of that. I did enjoy the kind of running joke we always had that Scotty's always out partying or <laughs> whatever. And, and this time it's not a party. Scotty's not one party. Like, I'm trying to go read. Yeah, he's just lived the party life. He's tired of it. Yeah, he's been partying so much. He's like, hey, I want to party now. I was like, no, I'm trying to read a, read a book or something, man. Like, what are y'all doing? Ever since like, he got yeah. accused of being Jack the Ripper, he slowed down a little bit. <laughs> he slowed down a little bit. <laughs> he wants to stay inside and read books now. Yeah. Um, so we cut to a little bit later on the station, and Scotty and a few others are, uh, they go into a cafe and they have a seat. And then the trader walks in, and he offers Scotty a triple, and he Scotty refuses. And then the trader moves on to another table full of Klingons, and then uh, the triple screeches when he gets to the table. And Korax is the the Klingon that he talks to. And I googled his name; that's how I knew because I didn't want like it's hard to tell some of them apart. And this guy obviously was going to play a part, and I wanted a name for him. 
So yeah, he's Korax. He's like he's the guy that was with the uh, Commander Koloth or Captain Koloth. But uh, Korax tells him to get the Tribble away from him, and the traitor apologizes and says that he's never seen them act that way before. So they have a little quick argument, and Korax is basically just telling him to get that damn thing away from him. Yeah, I thought and, the uh, I, I thought the Klingons. Sorry, I thought the Klingons were going to elaborate so- something on like the species why they don't want to be near them. Like right, he's just like it's too cute. I can't help myself. <laughs> get it out of here. My, it's it's making me non-violent. I don't like it. Yeah. Or he desperately wants to eat it. <laughs> just... Yeah, um, as you guys know, I did see a trivia that uh, that Koloff character actually comes back again oh. uh, in an old school and uh, an old school uh, <clears throat> uh, Star Trek things in the future plays the same character. That's cool. I always like when they get somebody to come back for their part. Yeah, it like said it had a note that said uh, he returned to the role 27 years later. Mm. My God, so a movie or something then? Or, yeah. uh, that might have been like Next Generation or something. So. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, they have a quick argument, and uh, the triples screeching, and the trader leaves, and he goes back to the bartender to try to sell him more triples, and then this weird comedy skit with this goofy ass movie star or music starts and the bartender just starts pulling tribbles out from underneath the bar and he just makes like a big fucking stack of them <laughs> it's just like this really dumb like circus music is playing he's just like stacking tribbles on tribbles yeah i find it yeah. hilarious like he's not even worried about your safety just laying them down yeah. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> nobody seems to give a shit they just stack them around and just set them on stuff <laughs> just like nobody cares yeah, like, it, don't put that on that the bar dude of, um... that's a live animal <laughs> Back when they used to uh, TV shows, they used to always have like the music always reflect the the mood. Right. So it's like that Christmas that that cute type uh, uh, circusy type stuff where it's like keeps dropping them the running joke. He's run, ju- those keep running, then the music stops at the end. So, but it's really weird. For, like it doesn't fit the tone of this show, but this episode also does not fit the tone of the show. It's it's really kind of just goofy. I honestly I feel yeah. like this episode is a like a slice of life episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, do you guys feel like eventually those tribbles start to stink? Because I bet their hair just oh, like gets absolutely. dirty and all matted up. Like, how do you bathe a tribble? You just like dip them in water. Like, where's just, they, they have assume, a mouth, so they probably I'm have lungs. Dip them in water. Yeah, they probably got lungs. So they can probably drown. I, they just look like super hairy rats with no. Yeah, tails. just like spray them down with a hose and hit them with the hair dryer, or like <laughs> rub some shampoo in there. I wonder what kind of shampoo they use. You can probably get them feeling really soft with the right conditioner. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a server uh, brings Scotty and his men some drinks, and Scotty asks Chekhov when he's going to get off his milk diet. And Chekhov says that he's drinking vodka, and Scotty's like, well, where I come from, that's soda pop. I, is it, though? Is, is vodka soda pop compared to scotch? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't, uh, I don't know too much about my liquors. I just occasionally drink some. Um, but uh, Scotty holds up his drink, and he says that that's a drink for men. And Chekhov says that scotch was invented by a little old lady from Leningrad. And Scotty laughs, and they just keep drinking. Uh, but in actuality, the first written mention of scotch is from Scotland in 1495. So there's that. Definitely no, che- not Chekhov is just being wrong with all his facts today. Yeah, he's just, you know, he's a... a he's just been grown up with a lot of propaganda. Russia did everything, so... <laughs> hey, they, they, uh, so- hey... If he brought up Tetris, then he'd be right. Yeah, then he'd be right, yeah. Can't believe they made a movie about that. Anyway, uh, Korax approaches the bar, and uh, the pile of triples starts screeching, and he notes that the Earthers like the triples, but uh, he loudly says that he never liked Earthers, and they remind him of Regulin bloodworms. And for some reason, I don't know what a Regulin 
Bloodworm is, but Chekhov gets really mad about it, and he goes to stand up, but Scotty calms him down, and uh, Korax, like, drunkenly takes, like, he's obviously drunk, and he takes a step towards uh, the Scotty and his men, and he says that, well, Kirk doesn't remind him of a regular Bloodworm. A regular Bloodworm is soft and shapeless, but Kirk isn't soft, and I was like, where is he going <laughs> yeah, with yeah. this? <laughs> like, Kirk gets hard and rigid. <laughs> yeah. That's what she said? Like, that's, I thought he was going to, like, profess his love for Kirk here for a second, which is totally fine, but would have been really weird. Uh, he says that Kirk may be a swaggering, overbearing, tin-plated dictator with illusions of godhood, which, like, dear God, he hit that on the nose. Uh, but, but he's not soft. So Chekhov stands up and Scotty again calms him down and he says that everybody's entitled to an opinion. And Korax agrees. He's like, yeah. And uh, if I think that Kirk is a Denebian slime devil, that's my opinion too. And you know what? These insults really don't hit hard because I don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what a Denebian <laughs> slime devil is. So I don't know yeah. if that's a, a like a school ground, like playground insult or if that's like a real serious one, right? As this as this part's building on, I'm thinking, yo, Scotty's gonna punch him. I was like, yeah. yo, this is gonna go. I said, like, what's gonna happen? This Scotty's gonna stop going on. This Scotty's gonna be the one to hit him. And then happened exactly the way I thought it would happen. I'm like, man, I watched way too many movies. Yeah, and like, I, yeah, and I like, figured it was going that way too. Yeah, I figured, it, yeah, I figured it go that way too. I actually enjoyed the whole the whole build up, but you know, every time there's always some loud guy at the party that wants to fight everybody. You know, so like it just. It remind, it's funny that like even back then it's always like it's a running theme in life like there's always one person in the group of the party that's way too extra and that is that's close to getting punched in the face and they don't realize it or whatever well that, that is the result of alcohol mouth. a lot of times yeah. yeah and also that's why you don't party with Klingons like they love fighting <laughs> <laughs> they don't party um, with anybody they like fighting come on now yeah. there's always there's always somebody in the group that w- wants to fight yeah, so Chekhov stands up again, but Scotty orders him to forget it. And Chekhov tries to defend Kirk, but Scotty says, look, it's really not worth fighting for. Like, we're big enough to take a few insults. And then he gives uh, Chekhov another drink and tells him to drink his drink. Uh, so Korax, he goes on to say that he likes the Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> that uh, it's a sagging old rust bucket and is designed like a garbage scow. And I was like, what the hell is a scow? So I looked it up, and a scow is a sailing dinghy. That is used in dredging and other harbor services. So it's kind of like the uh, like the harbor's garbage truck. Like it just like <laughs> scrapes the bottom of the ocean and all this other crap and just like keeps stuff clean. That, that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back then. Yeah, that's when I knew Scotty was going to hit him because you can't talk bad about the ship. <laughs> talk about my ship like that. Yeah. So Scotty asks Korax if he thinks that he should rephrase that. He's like, you, you think you should rephrase that one? And Korax, um, he like mocks Scotty's Scottish accent for a second and then like quickly drops it because it's no good. But uh, he says that he didn't mean to say that the Enterprise should be hauling garbage. He meant to say that it should be hauled away as garbage. <laughs> Which was a pretty and... solid insult. <laughs> yeah. I so mean, we got to fight now. That's only a solid insult to Scotty and Kirk. <laughs> Those are the only two that would care about that. Kirk would probably just like hit him with the phaser and just disintegrate him because he's in love with his ship in a very unnatural way. I, I wonder, though, he probably would have been man enough to say that to Kirk, though. No, and, no, because Kirk's glad not soft. what he's ensues hard. is one of the coolest fight scenes we've seen <laughs> in this show so far. Yeah. Like, we've seen a lot of real cool fight scenes, like the guy when he jumped, <laughs> when, he, when the robot guy fought him and he jumped in the air, whatever, which is a really cool fight in this thing. But this fight, and I liked how 
it's, it's like actually like a couple minute fight. It's actually a long fight. Yeah, it was, I was surprised how long minute, it went. Yeah. Well, with no Kirk or Spock there to knock people went. out in one hit, uh, you actually get yeah. a, you know, <laughs> a prolonged fight. Right. Yeah, the choreography of this is really clever. And then even the whole the whole cutting back and forth with a guy like kind of in the middle like having the drinks and then like kind of make sure his drinks don't spill and like kind of having yeah. the joke going through. Like this whole scene from like beginning to end of the, like the two, three minutes this fight is actually is perfection <laughs> in a way of where like it's just this running three minute joke and it works perfectly. You know, it works, it works perfectly. And I, yeah. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed it all. Yeah. So yeah, Scotty stands up and he punches Korax and like, Sends him flying over a table, which was kind of this like anime style punch, and uh, so, yeah. like, it's like a cartoon. Like it's truly like a cartoon. Like they took a a cartoon and made a cartoon scene because this is like how cartoon fights go. Yeah, like and it's, it's like how it went. It was just it, and it's funny. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. So at this point, the other Klingons they stand up, and then yeah, the brawl happens, and in the middle of this, the bartender flees, and the trader goes behind the bar and just gets himself a drink. And then probably my favorite part of this is Chekhov runs up to this huge Klingon and delivers like a flurry of punches to the Klingon's <laughs> gut. And it does absolutely nothing. <laughs> the Klingon just just chucks him across the room. <laughs> like, he just no sells those punches. Like, dude, what are you even doing? Yeah, like, yeah, Chekhov had the- his head down. He's just fucking punching away. <laughs> no, the Scotty punch. Scotty goes and, and th- throws the right hook, and it comes back uh, back with a outside hook. Like, yeah. like, like, like he almost slapped him, but punch slapped him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. it was just it, like what a what a, what a what an amazingly good fight. Like, what yeah. a really good. I really enjoyed that. Like, it was really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. while all this has happened, and like you said, they do the cuts back to the trader, and he's just making himself multiple drinks. And that's when I had the note that, like, this is a really good brawl. Like, it's going on for a little bit, but it's solid. And apparently, yeah, like, this it, is not his uh, first fight that's gone down, because, like, I'm going to steal alcohol, the trader. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I know what's up. Yeah, this is the trope uh, that I don't... I remember seeing a lot of old-school movies where, like, uh, uh, even, like, a, um, like westerns. That too, where in the western, a fight will break out, and there'll be a guy at the bar drinking, and then they, yeah. and then they they'd have to drink, and they would not drink out, and then they they would not get his drink out. Then he would get mad, and he would jump join the fight, you know. So it's kind of like a thing they're working. But I I didn't like how they did this. Like it was just I don't know. It's just, it, it it made me smile because I was like, yo, this is really very good uh, chore- choreographed. Yeah, it's very choreographed uh, very well. So I enjoyed really enjoyed it. Yeah, the uh, the trader he makes uh, a couple of drinks and then he like starts heading for the door and he's holding the drink way above his head so that he doesn't spill it and he just kind of like dances through the br- the brawl and when he gets to the door, uh, Starfleet security members rush in and they're followed by the bartender and so just when the trader is about to take a drink, the bartender grabs the glass out of his hand and goes over to the bar. And then the uh, trader reaches into his coat pocket and he pulls out a hidden Keep drink. Keep the body going. <laughs> Keep the body drinking. going. Yeah, I was like, there's, there's yeah. a weird bit of comedy in this episode. Yeah, like let's keep it going. So uh, we get a commercial break and we get a captain's log when we come back where Kirk reveals that he has canceled shore leave for both ships because of the small disturbance that happened in the wreck area. Yeah, the disturbance. Bar. <laughs> we call it. Yeah. Not, not, not a bar fight. Uh, so Kirk has everybody that was involved in the fight lined up and he paces back and forth and he says he wants to know who started the fight. And he asks one of the crew member and uh, the crew member's name is Freeman and Freeman says he doesn't know who started the fight. Which I don't so think he Kirk did, goes, did he? Oh yeah, he was there. No, yeah, there. there. Everybody knows who started the fight. They, but they're not going to snitch on each other. No, what? yeah, they're not going to tell. Yeah, they would never tell. They would never tell Kirk what happened. Well, yeah, some, of the guys, uh, some of the guys that were there you didn't see uh, 
I don't remember seeing like when the whole fight went down. That was in the lineup. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Freeman they, was, they, I think, the third guy at the table with Scotty and Chekhov. Okay, he didn't say anything then, did he? He just kind of sat no. there. Yeah, I, I, yeah he I'm was assuming, just there. I just assume everybody saw it and nobody's snitching on Scotty. Yeah. Like, unless Scotty says something. If not, they all take the punishment together. Yeah. That's just kind of how, how they are. Yeah, it's a military type thing. Uh, so, uh, Kirk goes to Chekhov, uh, who has a large bruise on his face. So it's cool. They're actually showing like battle damage here. And, uh, Kirk accuses Chekhov of starting the fight. Chekhov denies it. And he says that he doesn't know who started it. And Kirk says he wants to know who threw the first punch. And then he confines every one of their quarters until he finds out. He dismisses every, all of them, but he holds, uh, Scotty back. So everybody leaves and he tells Scotty that he's like, Hey, you were supposed to prevent the trouble. And he's like, who threw the first punch? And Scotty kind of hesitates, and they go back and forth for a second, and Scotty admits that he threw the first punch. I, I am laughing throughout this whole scene. It's so well done. Yes. Uh, Kirk is like, you threw the fir- first punch. Like, what caused it? And Scotty's like, well, the Klingons insulted us. And Kirk, like, he... he, he Shatter does a really good job here of walking the line be- between, like, angry but also proud. Like, he, he really displays, displays, like, the look on his face shows, like, Oh, well, they insulted you. Like, all right, I get it. But at the same time, you know, it's against regulations, but also good for you. Um, And he, Scotty says that Chekhov wanted to fight, but he held him back. And Kirk uh, questions why. He's like, why did Chekhov want to fight? And Scotty repeats that what the Klingons called Kirk. And Kirk's like, oh, okay. That's why you hit the, the Klingons. And <laughs> Scotty's, like, no. says, yeah. Yeah, Scotty's like, no, he's that's like, not why I did it. And Kirk's nah, like, nah, okay. Nah, I would never hit him with that. <laughs> he's like, okay. Like, well, what did they say to start the fight? And Scotty tells Kirk what they said about the Enterprise. And he says that it was a matter of pride. And Kirk's just kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I get it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if anybody like, you on the you ship when he called me a B, you know, yeah. when he called me a B, yeah, you, you, you know, you hit him when he, called, when he talked to says blah, blah, blah. Like, he didn't like cheeseburgers. Like, what? That's why you bust them? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, if anybody on the not, ship not, understands not this, it's, it's Kirk because he's in love with the ship. Yeah. Uh, but he uh, he dismisses Scotty, but restricts him to his quarters until further notice. And Scotty is super happy about it. He thanks Kirk because it gives him time to go back to check up on his technical journals. You don't start so leave in peace time. now. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to go on leave to begin with. Yeah, very uh, random comment. Very well acted, like that scene. Uh, like this this episode has a lot of those uh, moments where you're like, oh, I can see why this is essential because this has this episode is a good way of balancing the comedy and the drama. And the acting and everybody's strong points without getting so out the realm where you're like, okay, this doesn't fit. Right. You know, like this does a, a good way of adding a, a dumb, corny thing as in gerbils that eat and, and multiply somehow, you know, and somehow making it like very st- a Star Trekky while putting this element in that's, that's very like, that's very like not, that's very what I'm saying, not spacey, like kind of jokey. It, yeah. it gets it does get way of balancing out, so I see how they, people like this episode. Yeah, they kind of took a step away from their their usual formula of of drama, and like they've done some comedy stuff in the past, but this was pretty heavy in the comedy area. I thought oh, it landed pretty yeah, well. Like the, like, yeah, like the bad guy is not really a bad guy. <laughs> you know, it's right. like a you know, it's like a, a cute animal is the bad guy. Like, oh, we're dealing with this cute like this animal. Like, and and as a person, like you want you like this animal. It's cute. You know, you like the animals, cute, it's cool, stuff like that. But at the same time, you're like, oh, it's the, it's actually the enemy at the same time. So it's, it does a good way of balancing that, uh, that, um, the way of it goes. You know, yeah, make it likable. Yeah. 
So uh, we go to the sick bay, and Spock and McCoy are surrounded by Tribbles. And Spock says that there's something disquieting about the Tribbles. And he notes how they eat a lot, but that he sees no practical use for them. And McCoy says that they're nice and soft and furry, and they make a pleasant sound. And then uh, Spock makes some kind of uh, comparison to like some in some kind of violin. He's like, yeah, that makes a, a pleasant sound too, but it's not useful in any way. Uh, he says that uh, it's a human characteristic to love animals. Well, McCoy says that it's a human characteristic to love little animals. And uh, Spock says that he's well aware of human characteristics and he has trained himself to put up with practically anything. Uh, McCoy says that he doesn't know too much about the Tribbles yet, but he has discovered that he likes them more than he likes Spock. Spock says that they do have one redeeming characteristic. They don't talk too much. McCoy kind of gets that like, kind of funny at the same time. <laughs> yeah. uh, on the bridge, Kirk sits in a, his, he goes to sit in his captain chair and he sits on a triple and somehow does not kill it. I imagine that would have just smashed that damn thing. It's, it's kind of like the world's worst whoopee cushion too. Like it just screeches. Uh, but he picks it up and he calls McCoy to the bridge and he walks around just looking at the triples that are everywhere. Like, they're all over the bridge. And he asks Ahura how they got on the bridge, but she doesn't know. She seems to be, like, in kind of a dumb state over there. She's just like, I don't know. We haven't we haven't seen them move or, or, or walk or float around yeah. or nothing, so we don't even know how they travel. We just yeah, seen how, the, how do they get they anywhere? They just keep appearing somewhere. I just I assume they see roll. I've seen a note that they actually made 500 of these. Oh, my God. Yeah, those, they made 500 interns. of these uh, particular th- uh, things they use for the show, so... I- Jesus. Uh, but oh, I was gonna say I, I got a kick out when Kirk was walking around looking at all the tribbles and uh Chekhov's like petty one, he just rips out of his hand. <laughs> takes it from him. Yeah. Everybody can have one but Chekhov. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh so I just I just don't know like I, I get the thing. I just don't know how they got there. Like if they could have if we could even saw one like float on a string, you know, like getting pulled or something and we fool around, but we didn't even know how to travel with it all. So, well, well how the hell do they clean the walls? Like, are they part right. reptilian? Like, what are they? Oh, we, don't, we, we don't know. Is it, we're just supposed to go with it. Um, I am willing to bet, and I'm looking right now, but I'm not going to dig too deep. I guarantee you that some of these tribbles are for sale, like show used tribbles. They have to be. No, there, are, yeah. there are probably some floating around out there somewhere, and I don't want one. But so, <laughs> yeah, I know they got to be because I did. I did uh, see in my research that also there was a uh, the troubles have been back for multiple episodes. Oh my god! And and, and they're they're in the mo- uh, movies too. Well, when you make yeah. five hundred of them, you got to use them at least once or twice. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a, uh, by what I was by the research I did. Uh, it says they appear in another episode, and then they appear in some future uh, show episodes. And then they appear in a couple of the movies too, huh? So oh. it's they're uh, they're the trouble. The troubles are trouble. The troubles are trouble. Yeah, the troubles are trouble. The, tr- the troubles are trouble. You know what I'm trying to say, people? <laughs> <laughs> There's trouble. The uh, troubles. So McCoy enters the bridge, and he's got a triple of his own. And Kirk hands him three more. And McCoy says that if they don't get them off the ship, then they're going to be hip deep in them. And he says that as far as he can tell, they're born pregnant. And he says that they seem to be bisexual and are reproducing at will, which I don't think that's what bisexual means. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, that's it too. Well, it's oh, like, asexual. It's asexual. It was the seventies yes. so, or sixties. So. Asexual. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought too. I'm like, yo, like, look, I don't asexual. care what the triples are attracted to. It's up to us, you know. Same yeah. business. <laughs> Did they ever address uh, so the all this eating that they're doing to make more triples? Where is uh, where are all the droppings at? Like. Yeah, 
Well, they oh, he did say yeah. that 50% of their metabolism is geared towards uh, reproducing. So maybe the other 50% is just them staying alive. Maybe they don't produce any. No waste. Any, uh, any waste. Yeah. Because they just, they're yeah. incredibly efficient. They use it all. Oh, we'll see. You see, that's why I'm curious. Now I've been thinking about the research on these animals uh, and on other episodes. I'm curious to find out what episodes they're on and what, if they're on this season or different shows to figure yeah. out what is, if that's more lore. Yeah. Yeah, that's more lore. Honestly, just, the they mistake just is that they fed them after midnight. Uh, of course. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if that, I wonder if this episode was a, a, uh, inspiration for gremlins. I, I could kind of, I mean, just took it, it seems... made him like kind of made him evil instead. <laughs> <laughs> no, Gizmo wasn't e- evil. No, but the other ones were. Yeah. Yeah. True that. Uh, so Spock agrees about, uh, needing to get rid of them. And he says that they are re- reproducing at an alarming rate. And they're also consuming all of the ship's supplies and they are not returning anything. Uhura says that they're returning love. <laughs> and, uh, we bring you she love. Says, <laughs> she says that Cyrano Jones says that Tribble is the only love that money can buy. And Cyrano Jones is the traitor. So they finally gave him a name. Um, I just her, I just don't like it. Like, I don't like the way to make it Uhura. I just don't like it. Like, it's yeah. just really dumb. Like, she's getting all lovey and dovey over this dumb animal. Like, well, they've I, had a problem listen, with her character I, this whole season. Yeah, like, I, I get... I get people love animals and we get blah, blah, blah about certain animals and I get it, but it's her level of her, her naivety in the way they're making her act is just so opposite of her character. That is kind of annoying. Maybe, maybe right. deep down, she wants to have a baby. and She's having a midlife crisis. Yeah. See, of course. And now you make it even more sexist than what I was talking <laughs> about. <laughs> a minute ago, sorry. <laughs> no, that's a thing. I know that. That's what I'm saying, though. That's, a, that's what I'm saying, though. I'm only talking about her acting right now. I, I'm just trying to come up with some a rational excuse why she's making bad decisions, and that's not an insult to her. <laughs> that she, she wants to have she a wants baby. To care for this normal. She's ready to have a child. Yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe she wants to switch away from her military career and start a family. Uh, I see. Um, oh, but anyway, Kirk says that uh, too much of something isn't necessarily a good thing. And he gives Ahura the tribbles that he was holding and tells her to get a maintenance crew to do a cleanup of the entire ship. And uh, to tell Mr. Lurie that he's beaming down and he wants Cyrano Jones found and held. And then uh, as he leaves, he's like, get the tribbles off the bridge. I, I was ready. I know they weren't going to do it, but I was ready for Kirk to like just spike one of the tribbles. Just out of annoyment. I, I wanted him to do the... Spike? Uh, <laughs> he just like uh, throws it on the ground. S- Spike, you are about the violence, sir. Look at that little cute thing. You want to spike it, man? I want to say those things are cute. They m- look more like New York rats that just have extra <laughs> hair. <laughs> I was with a ball of hair, and they're not doing nothing but living in like the Nothing to you. If they all come together, do they make cousin it? Like, what are they? I was oh, waiting for them spike it, for him to do the WWE Snitsky baby punt. If you've ever seen that, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting on one of those from Kirk. Just punt that triple. Just one, one little kick. <laughs> Actually, when he was getting uh, to the the transporter, I kind of thought that, yeah. like, oh, he's gonna see the kick. <laughs> just start stomping him. You gonna kick one out the way of the transporter? <laughs> that would okay. That would actually be kind of funny. Yeah. Now that you brought it up, like if we'd have been transported and kick went out the way, that would have been kind of fun. <laughs> uh, so we go a little bit later, and Kirk is talking to Cyrano Jones, uh, who is saying that he's done nothing wrong. 
And Spock says that he must have known what would happen if Tribbles were removed from their predator-filled environment and put into an environment where their ability to multiply would have no restraint. But he used a lot more complex words than that, and so <laughs> Jones just doesn't understand what Spock said. He's like, what is this guy talking about? Well, I, I wonder the planet that they took him from, man, what kind of predator is on there to keep the, that species in check? Like, right. For real. Yeah, what is eating that much? They got 10, they don't 10, what, 10 an hour, 10 a day? No, it was, it was like... 10? Like ten, like ten, like every twenty minutes or something like that, or yeah, whatever. They, they gave a stat on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't keep it down myself, but that's crazy. Yeah. So uh, Spock clarifies and just uh, basically dumbs it down for him. And Jones says that their fast breeding is how he maintains his stock. And he says that breeding animals isn't against regulations as long as they're not dangerous. And triples are not dangerous. But Kirk says that they're incredibly prolific. And uh, Jones says that. At six credits each, that mounts up. So Kirk asks uh, if he sells instruction manuals for the Tribbles, and Jones like, well, if I did, what would happen to man's search for knowledge? And then he just <laughs> excuses himself. So they, they literally captured him and brought him there and asked him, like, three questions and then just let him walk out on his own volition. <laughs> because technically he did nothing wrong. Like, he has to work any regulation at all. He, he saw these cute animals. He's like, oh, look. Oh, look, look, let me take it with me. I'm going to go sell them. They're not dangerous. Uh, you could probably argue, though, they would be an invasive species. Yeah. He didn't know oh, for that sure. When he got, yeah, he didn't know that when he got it, though. Well, he, just got, he, he, was, he admits, though, that, like, oh, they re- re- reproduce really fast. And if it's not, you know, a uh, natural predator yeah, to take care you, of but, it, but it becomes a problem. But you're thinking, like, he's smart enough to, to think like that, though. You're thinking that he's smart enough to, okay, if I have one and it makes 20, then, but if I think, oh, I make one, it makes 20, I can sell more, more profit. He's not thinking about the oh there'll be too many of them. We're thinking oh I have so many I can sell I can sell I got one and I can take this one and make so much money off of it if I sell sell all their babies for certain amount of money. That's true, but is there a high demand for tribbles? Like, is there like a right? uh, who's buying these? He was making it. He thought giving you her that one trouble would make the high demand. Like, he I, thought I, if I, you I, her I, got it and started talking to everybody about it, there would be high demand. I, I guess if you wanted to use it like as a food source, like, oh, hey, we got this unlimited food source that, uh, like, you're ready for <laughs> okay. triple for, for dinner See? tonight. The, uh, tri- triple nuggets. We don't know yeah. what they taste like. But. Yeah. Uh, so the listeners don't know this, but we took a short break during recording and Paul and I were talking about uh, triple nuggets and how there's kind of a Futurama episode about that. <laughs> I guess there is. <laughs> and once again, oh, yeah. And oh, so you guys know, I started Futurama. I'm in the middle of maybe the first episode, middle half of the first episode, I believe. So we're going to go to Futurama things. So and next time there be any kind of references, I can understand what's going on because <laughs> apparently I'm the only geek on planet Earth who has not watched Futurama. It, it, so. It, I'm clapping for you, Paul. It's about time. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm starting it. We'll see. I'll finish it eight, eight years from now, and then we'll go from there. <laughs> and and not to go too far into, like, the logistics of this guy's business, um, but there's no way in hell he's turning a profit on these triples aside from, like, the initial one that he sells because let's say he sells me a triple, right? And my neighbors see this triple, and they're like, damn, I really want one of those. All they have to do is wait 12 hours, and I will have 11 <laughs> more, and I can yeah. just give them away to the point yeah. where over the course of the next few days – Everybody in town's going to have one, and nobody's buying one from him. So he can sell, like, maybe a couple in an area before they're just yeah. overloaded. I thought the same thing. That's why I was – I thought the I thought the same thing, but I, I get what you're saying, though. Actually, also, actually, you know what they kind of reminded me of? Uh, in Yu-Gi-Oh!, the Karibo. Oh, yeah. And, and, you're right. Oh, yeah. Little fuzzy guy? Yeah. Like, yeah. Karibo. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, little fuzzy dudes. And, and they have a move where they multiply, so... Yep. 
How long do we think it would take for Tribbles to take over an entire solar system? Uh, a solar system? Well, they can't They can't fly. Assuming that it happens the same way it happened here, that someone buys one at a station, someone else buys one at that same station, they go to their home planets that are in the same system. Oh, no no time. I mean, I don't think they could because they would just get killed. If, if people, I mean, if people realize how dangerous they were, they would just kill them. I assume burn them. You think, we would, you think we would be able to stop that, though? Or is, yes. human, is humanity dumb enough that we would let these things multiply <laughs> until we were unable to stop them? I mean, We'd be we nuking be, cities we, because of Tribbles. It's trending now. Tri- tri- tribble, tribbles are trending, so everybody wants to Tribble. <laughs> yeah. and it's all around town. I want to yeah. Tribble. I want to Tribble. Now the kid, everybody has Tribbles. They say, you know, there's so many of them that's taking over. Yeah, like you, you buy one, and then 12 hours later, you have 11, and then 12 hours after that, all 11 of those have also multiplied. Like you, You're talking over the course of a week. Like tens of thousands of tribbles. Well, actually, no. They, remember, uh, they made a million. Yeah. Uh, in this episode, remember when he said that number earlier? Yeah. Uh, let, later on, Spock says uh, yeah, they, they made a million a few, something. Yeah. Just by getting in that food, so I, I can imagine there's food supplies everywhere around here that's going to make it jump quick. Yeah. So this will be a couple of days for they be taking over our planet. Yeah, I've never claimed to be good at math. In, in fact, I claim the opposite. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know Spice is something about a million or something later on. They created just by getting in the grain. So I'm assuming, let's imagine they got to some grain here on Earth. Right. And they, that would make amends to them. So they'd be, what, b- a billions within a, within a week? Well, right. That'd be a weird way to destroy like the human race. Like all this innocent looking little animal. Just, just oh, we all, all drown like, the, and die. That would be a really cool uh, triple episode of like. They go to episode is destroyed because there's too many troubles. <laughs> Just fill up the whole planet with them. Yep, I like it. So Barris enters the room and he tells Kirk that he considers his security measures a disgrace, and he accuses Kirk of taking the project too lightly. And Kirk says that he thinks the project is very important and that it's Barris that he takes lightly. So Barris threatens to report Kirk for giving free access of the station to a man who's possibly a Klingon agent. And Kirk says he doesn't know who the hell he's talking about. Barris says that he's talking about Cyrano Jones. So Kirk wants to know what evidence Barris has. And Barris says that uh, his assistant has kept Jones under close surveillance and uh, that his actions are most suspicious. His assistant, uh, Darwin, says that he checked Jones's ship log and that he was within the Klingon sphere of influence less than four months ago. And so Barris believes that Jones is a Klingon spy. Spock says that they've checked Jones's background and that he's a licensed asteroid locator and prospector. And I'm like, damn, now that's a profession. Like, this dude's <laughs> out here just mining asteroids? Like, that's cool as shit. He, he, yeah, he um, should be pretty rich. So I don't know why he has ni- doesn't have nice-looking clothes. He looks like a space right? hobo. Gotta carry all I those goods. The, ter- the term, uh, he was inside the Klingon sphere of influence, is that implying, like, the the Klingon, like, uh, prop- like uh, coalition? Like, I think the, it- like they're... Or is it just like a term they, that he uses as like to describe like their cone of? I'm curious what that what how the term yeah, works. I, I don't know if he's using it as in like the sphere of influence, as in like he has been influenced by them, or within or he was physically within their space, like their yeah, yeah within their, space. their spa- yeah within their space. Yeah, I'm curious. It just that term but, was like, kind of weird. I was like, that's a weird term. The, to use. the rebuttal by Spock about him being an asteroid miner makes me believe that he was just talking about he was in Klingon space. Because like, oh, okay. like, what would be the point in bringing that like, up? Like, yeah, yeah, like, I, yeah, like that term. I wish it did say Klingon space rather than a sphere of influence. That way, they could specify exactly what that meant. Which he could probably go into Klingon space if he's not a part of the Federation. He's probably not breaking like any really treaties. Being you know an independent. Uh, well, you got to think he right. might if he, if he's 
if they're saying he's a one man shit by himself and he just goes around, then he must have some kind of deal with a lot of places because you can imagine all the pirates and all the, you know, the space criminals, thing like that you run into out in space. So he must be like well respected and must well liked, I'm assuming. Right. Well, I, assuming. I, I, I imagine like the Federation, like, all right, you can go in there and cling on territory, but if you get captured, there, we can't do anything to help you. Yeah, and I would imagine it's probably likely that the Klingons do something with you, especially if you're out there like mining and you potentially have a lot of money. Yeah, or or you can or you're a good collector of rare items. Yeah, and they can always ask you to go. Is that the, is that the new uh, Star Trek uh, series coming up with Star Trek uh, Explorer, where this guy is you know like a one man ship, he goes around just finding rare metals and rare things that collect them, like yeah. uh, was it uh, uh, Antique Roadshow meets uh, Star Trek. Is he Indiana Jones? Hey, hey, hey Paul, there, there, <laughs> yeah. there is a current currently a writer strike going on, so we could write scripts and uh. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? No, writer <laughs> and scabs. actor strike right now. We can write and act in our own thing right now. It, it's yeah. time. What's going on? I'm ready. Yeah, I'll write them like six lines of dialogue and then give up because that shit's hard. <laughs> or, or you can just uh, talk to uh, the AI, be like, "Yo, write me a movie." <laughs> yeah, I'm an AI, do it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, write me a Star Trek movie. Star Trek Detective. So Spock goes on to say that uh, Jones has never severely broken the law and has obtained a marginal living in the past seven years with his one-man ship by engaging in the buying and selling of rare merchandise, including tribbles. So Barris believes that Jones is after the grain, and uh, he's a disruption to the station, and, and Kirk asks for proof, saying that disrupting a station is not an offense. So Kirk then is just like, all right, I'm actually going to leave, and he just excuses himself. Um on the Enterprise, uh, Kirk and Spock enter the rec room to find the crew is surrounded by Tribbles. And then they get food from what I think... it. Okay, so it's not... I looked it up. They, they don't have the replicator in this series, but they have maybe some sort of synthesizer. Like The, the series has gone back and forth between they get food from the wall and they get food from a kitchen. <laughs> so... I don't know what this thing is. It looked like some quarter, some kind of replicator as I know it, like the little bit that I do know about a replicator. Because they literally just went to a wall and pushed a button the door and, like, up and some stuff came yeah. out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they get food and it's absolutely covered in tribbles. And Kirk is upset about them being in his chicken sandwich and his coffee, which that one's probably drowning. He says that he wants them off the ship and then Scotty walks in and he's just got like a pile of triples in his arms and he says that they're into the machinery and probably in all the food processors too. And he thinks that they're getting in through the air vents and Spock notes that the station has that same type of air vent and uh, Kirk says also in the storage compartments like they have that, that vent in there too. So it was a really weird quick way for them to put this together. But uh, Kirk contacts Ahura to have Lurie and Barris meet them at the storage compartments and he and Spock go to the transporter room. And this is where they get there, like the tech or like the engineer is petting a triple and like they get on the transporter and it's just covered with tribbles. Tribbles. <laughs> yeah. And my first thought was like, if they did that, like wouldn't tribbles go with them? But then when they transported to the station, the tribbles did go with them. They had, which had some which is feet. exactly what I thought. What a small, subtle detail for them to remember. I'm yeah. like, I'm hoping I'm hoping he still has troubles when and he went through and he had it. I was like, you know what? Okay, you're good. You're good. Like, I gave him a pass for any mistakes they might have made, which didn't make any. I was like, you know what? What a clever, uh, what a clever way of doing that. I just I thought it was really cool myself. Yeah, I was expecting like a half a triple to get transported because like maybe one's halfway on the transporter. <laughs> How does that work? Yeah, I don't know. It just like cuts you. Um. Anyway, we're on the station. And, uh, yeah, so they beamed in, they got triples at their feet, and Lurie and Barris meet up with Kirk and Spock, and they ask what's wrong, and Kirk just leads them to the storage room. And he confirms with the security guard there that nothing can get uh, into the secured door, and then he orders the guard to open it. 
but they they have this really weird like universal handle like they they put this handle on the door and then they can't get it open and the guard says it's stuck yeah yeah and like kirk tries it and it won't open and then uh they they have like kind of an angled cabinet above them and uh so he takes like the handle off the first one and puts it on the the door to the cabinet above them and kirk opens it and just like a shit ton of tribbles fall out like just a lot like he starts getting buried in tribbles (laughs) yeah i thought that um it almost looked like uh, like a school locker combination, you know, when you spin it around. Yeah. Like when I'm lockers for a school combination lock and then that attached to each one. Very, very uh, cool, clever um, thing they invented. Or inv- yeah. like a prop, I'm sorry, what I'm looking for. Very yeah. cool prop to use. Yeah, so we go to commercial break. We come back and uh, Kirk is pushing him way out, or pushing him way, yes, pushing his way out from under a pile of triples. And Spock's like, well, those things are gorged. And Barris says that he holds Kirk responsible for letting them eat all the grain. And Spock notes that uh, there have there must be 1,771,561 tribbles, assuming one tribble multiplies with an average of lit- an average litter of 10, producing a new generation every 12 hours over the course of three days, allowing for the amount of grain consumed and the volume of the storage compartments. <laughs> so there are 1.7 million tribbles in there. And that was and how long does, how long that's been? So you just imagine how long it would take a Take over a planet. Yeah. And what I think is hilarious is that they're having this super uh, serious conversation. And it's kind of a lengthy scene. And while this is happening, Triples Tribbles are just falling, steadily falling, falling on Kirk's Kurt. head. Yeah. So there's like a crew member up there just steadily dropping Tribbles on his head, <laughs> like throwing them at him. And every now and then he catches one and he like looks back up like, what are you doing up there? Like he gets one like in the head and he just looks back up there. Uh, and he looks like he wants to laugh the entire time, too. Barris is still mad at Kirk, and he rants about Kirk insulting him and walking all over him, and he says that Kirk has abused his authority. And honestly, at this point, uh, Barris is not wrong. Kirk did not take this seriously, and this was the outcome of that. Like, if Kirk had taken this a little more seriously and had not allowed Uhura to get the damn triple on board, then this likely would not have happened. But then they would have known that there would have been triples in the granary, though, if she had didn't do that. If she didn't take that thing, they wouldn't have been in the granary. They wouldn't have been on the ship at all. He's thinking. He's thinking that well, since you heard someone about the trouble on the ship. Wait a minute. The granary's on the yeah. space station, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so but, it would have been the merchant that brought the the triples on there, not ah. Uh, yeah. But so the, the triples. Uh, are- Okay. The station is not littered with triples in any other area of that station. So obviously Jones is keeping them, you know, cleaned up somehow. Like they had to have gotten from the ship to the station somehow because they are all over that ship and they are nowhere to be found on the station well, aside from obviously well, the compartment. Well, in the bar scene, the, 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 he was pulling out all those triples. So could they had could they have moved to the granary? Like, yeah, but wouldn't well, they still yeah, just be everywhere? Be there? Like they'd be all over I, the halls and in I every don't room. think. Even though Kurt didn't take this uh, serious, I don't think there's nothing Kurt could have did. Like you can't you can't keep a a triple out of a out of an air vent. And plus, he had troubles on there anyway. He had troubles on the ship anyway. So they were going to get in there no matter what. And who's to know that the troubles weren't already in the grain at the time she saw the first one? Well, that's that's what Spock makes that argument, saying that if it's been three days, if not longer. Yeah, but I feel like if Kirk just wouldn't have been, like, a sarcastic ass to this guy and would have just, like, you know, posted guards or looked into it, like, the slightest amount, he probably could have found this out sooner or, he like, prevented guards. it. He posted guards. Like, two. 
Well, you, yeah, they, they, they came cares? to the they're, 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 they're at the front door, man. No, <laughs> this, that's not fair. They're at the front door. This is the one time we're going to the vents too. This is the one time like, we're going to have to stick up for the security guards. They did nothing wrong. They're going to peek in every now and then. You, you can't just guard the a thing and not no. check on it. No, you're, you're, you're guarding the door. You're not supposed to guard the air vents. That's not what you told me to do. You no, told me you, to guard the door. You peek in the door, the door every now and then make sure everything's okay. <laughs> Look, I'm watching the door. The door has not opened. Therefore, we're good. I'm not opening the door. You're, you're so not guarding the no. door. You're guarding the thing on the other side no, of the door. You've got to make sure it's door. cool every now Wait, and then. Like a hunch, no. like, we better check to make sure no one's stolen anything We better check to make sure nobody's broke this, came to the vent and tried to steal something because, you know, <laughs> we got to watch the vent, too, and the door. Come on but, now. Okay, but to that, there are potentially Klingon saboteurs there. And if you know that there are vents in there, that there's there's two ways in, the door or the vent. Nobody's coming the door. Don't you think you eventually just check in there just to make sure? Look, Klingons uh, no, have because never watched Mission Impossible. Even if they're so small, they can go through vents again. It's, 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 ba- it's the vent's super small in a way. Come on now. Somebody can fit in there? What are they, John McClane? We don't know the size <laughs> of the vent. Yeah, if, if, if John McClane can fit through a vent, then a Klingon can fit through a vent. Yeah, vents aren't that big in real life, sir. Okay, <laughs> they're not. They're only that big in movies. I don't know. I feel like Kirk just kind of fucked up on this one. Oh, no, nah. no. Kirk and, just being sarcastic Kirk and the, the crew did nothing wrong. The security guard did nothing wrong. Plus, who knows? The the Cleon boy, a uh, trader boy, could have took, the, took the, the thing and threw it in there. He yeah, that's t- true. That was he what could- he was originally thinking. Barris originally thought that... Uh, yeah, he could he could have took one of them and threw them in there as a like uh to mess with it. So, yeah, I think. Well, I don't think that Barris thought that Jones was doing that, but he did think that Jones was some kind of saboteur. So, yeah, that probably would have been a possibility as well. Which actually, that's what I thought when they discovered all the tribbles in there. I thought that Jones ended up finding a way to get one in there. Yeah, I, I thought it was gonna be something where like the tribbles when they ate stuff, like it like transported matter to like a different place somehow, and that's how he was stealing the grain. He like engineered like these creatures to be able to like transport matter after they ate it. <laughs> oh, I, I thought they man, were gonna get really elaborate with it, head, sir. Man, yeah, they didn't touch that, that, that was way, way out there, man. I was like, I never would have got there. I was trying uh-uh. to piece together what was going on at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Kirk tells Barris that uh, he's gonna hold him in irons if he doesn't shut up, and he literally says, "Shut up." Um. McCoy enters the room and uh, he says that he thinks that if they quit feeding them, they'll just stop breeding. And Spock notices that many of the tribbles all over the floor are dead. And so McCoy does a scan, like he scans the pile and he confirms that, yeah, a lot of them are dead and many of them are still dying. And Spock believes that there must be something in the grain. So Kirk tells McCoy to analyze the tribbles and the grain and everything else and find out what killed them. And McCoy argues that he hasn't figured out what keeps them alive yet, uh, but he does leave to, to start on his work. Um, at this point, Barris starts in on Kirk again, and he says that Starfleet's going to hear about this, and he says they'll have a board of inquiry, and that uh, Kirk, uh, they'll have a board of inquiry with Kirk, and that uh, he's going to be there to enjoy every minute of it, because like they're going to grill Kirk, and he wants to be there to enjoy it. And Kirk says that until that happens, he's still the captain, and he wants uh, Cyrano Jones found and the storage door closed, because it just keeps raining triples on his head. <laughs> <laughs> So we go a little bit later, and uh, we're in uh, Lurie's office, and a security officer is cleaning tribbles from the table as Jones is escorted into the room by other officers. And then uh, Koloff interrupts, and he uh, he says that he wants an official apology addressed to the Klingon High Command, and he wants Kirk to assume full responsibility for the persecution of Klingon nationals in the Quadrant. 
So he says that Kirk has uh, harassed his men and treated them like criminals. And uh, if he wants to avoid, avoid a diplomatic incident, and this is where Barris interrupts and says that uh, Kirk can't let them have a wedge that they need to give the Klingon Empire a claim to Sherman's planet. And if they do this, then that's what's going to happen. Well, Spock believes that uh, it's going to take more than the word of an aggrieved Klingon commander to do that. And Koloth says aggrieved. that... Aggrieved. Aggrieved. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes they use these words, but I'm like, I need a dictionary watching this show sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, man, give me a book. Give me a dictionary. Hold on. Like, I'm learning. I mean, it's, I guess it's good I'm learning new words, you know, in life at, at my age. At the same time, I'm like, yo, this is just... Rock- I'm like definition like oh that's a word like, like that's actually a word next time scrabble i got you now guys like, <laughs> you know like that's how i feel sometimes yeah so kola says that kirk has already given them sherman's planet through his actions and kirk says that before he takes any official action he wants to know who put tribbles in the quadriticale and uh he wants to know that or he wants to know what it was that killed the tribbles so Koloth requests that Kirk get the tribbles that Jones is holding out of the room because he doesn't like them because they screech and they don't like uh, Klingons. And Kirk agrees to that, so the tribbles get taken away. But as the guards are taking the tribbles away, uh, Barris's assistant, uh, Mr. Darvin, enters the room and the tribbles start screeching at him. So uh, Kirk tells Jones that um, he thought the tribbles liked everybody, and Jones says that they do. And the last time he saw them act that way, it was in the bar with the Klingons. So Kirk uh, takes one of the tribbles and he takes it near the Klingons and it starts screeching. So Kirk says that well, Jones is right. Like they don't like Klingons. Yeah. And uh, so does that mean that the tribbles are just racist? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> don't like Klingons. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, They're cool so with then Falcons, he takes, though. Uh, yeah. So he takes the, the tribble to Spock and the, the tribble starts to purr and Spock's like, well, they're obviously very perceptive creatures. So uh, McCoy enters the room during all of this, but he doesn't really do anything. He just kind of stands there. And uh, Kirk takes the tribbles to Barris, and uh, they start to purr. And he's like, well, you know, there's no accounting for taste. And then uh, he takes them near Darwin, and they start screeching again. So Kirk just openly wonders why they don't like Darwin. And he motions to McCoy, who then scans Darwin, and he reveals that Darwin is a Klingon. Barris is surprised that uh, Darwin is a Klingon, and Kirk wonders. He's like, well, what would Starfleet Command say? about uh, you bring a Klingon like this. And uh, Kirk asks about the grain, and McCoy reveals that the grain was poisoned. And he says that it was impregnated with a virus, which I don't know if that's the word they should have (laughs) used, but it was impregnated with a virus that turns into an inert material in the bloodstream, and then the matter builds up, and after two or three days, you'd reach a point where you couldn't take in enough nourishment to survive. Hold on, it shouldn't shouldn't matter if they're inert, right? Yeah, it doesn't make a bit of difference. It doesn't make a bit of difference. Yeah. I thought that uh, where he was going with this was that the poison was going to build up matter and like clog up your arteries or something. But no, apparently it just makes it to where you can't possibly eat enough to live, which doesn't make sense to me. But I'm also not living in the future in space. So (laughs) I don't don't know. I thought that was a really weird explanation. Um, But Kirk finds it amusing that the Tribbles starve to death in a storage compartment full of grain. So uh, Kirk then returns to Darwin and he points the screeching tribbles at him and asks if uh, he wants to talk, which here there was a really weird um, difference uh, in Paramount between what he said and what the subtitles said, because the subtitles were like subtitles said, uh, do you want to talk? But I'm pretty sure I heard Kirk said uh, what you don't or he said you don't talk. Hmm. Like, oh, or, so, or something to oh, that yours. Yeah, I think the subtitles. Oh yeah, were sometimes wrong. when you said we're watching certain stuff, the subtitles don't match. 
Well, the, they don't. Then towards like the middle of the episode, they always the subtitles always get ahead. But here, I don't think that's what he said at all. Not that it's that big of a difference because it it all comes out the same. But anyway, so yeah, he points the tribbles at Darvin and asks if he wants to talk, and Darvin says that he has nothing to say. Um, Kirk then thrusts the screeching screeching tribbles at him again, and that's enough for him to admit that. Uh, <laughs> The, the, he's the one that poisoned the grain. It, it wasn't hard like, to break him. No, at least they think somebody would have teeth. So he broke like, very easily. <laughs> yeah, what is the threat here? The screeching? Like, because they don't have teeth. They can't, the turtles aren't going to bite the Klingons. There's no I'm threat to sure. them at I, all. I, I, get, I get what you're saying, though. I understand what you're trying to say. Yeah, really weird. Uh, but Kirk asks about the Tribbles, and Darwin says that he's never seen one before in his life, and he hopes to never see one of those fuzzy, miserable things again. And then the fact that freaked out when he said he'd never seen one his entire life and never hope never see one again, that's even weirder that he's that freaked out. Yeah. But he really doesn't all the like love. Freaked out. Yeah, it's like an well, elephant yeah, mouse thing going on. Now, if they had said the pheromone they give out to uh, or have some kind of effect on Cleons or have some kind of fear effect or something, that may have been something, you know? Right. But, oh, you know, they put off a kind of fear effect that, like, a Cleon don't, don't like or something like that, whatever it is. Yeah, just really, really weird. Uh, but Barris has uh, the guards take Darwin away, and then uh, he leaves with the guards and all that, and we don't hear from him again. And Kirk approaches Koloth and says that he has six hours to get his ship out of Federation territory, which I think is really, uh, really kind. I would have given him like 10 minutes, considering how quickly you can just, you know, call your crew and tell them to get ready, and then you just transport there. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. Uh, the Tribbles start screeching, and Koloth and, and Korax leave immediately. They're like, please don't make us listen to that again. Um, Kirk then mentions to Spock and McCoy that uh, he could learn to like the Tribbles. So we go to the bar, and uh, the bartender is absolutely covered in Tribbles as Kirk and Spock and Jones enter. Yeah. And uh, Kirk asks Jones if he knows what the penalty is for transporting an animal harmful to human life. Uh, Jones argues that one little Tribble isn't harmful, and Spock notes that the penalty is 20 years in a rehabilitation colony. So Jones, uh, he wants to come to a mutual understanding since the Tribbles did reveal the poison grain and he that, that revealed the Klingon agent and potentially saved a lot of lives, which he's right. Um, Kirk says yeah. that Jones can pick up every Tribble on the space station, and if he does that, he'll speak to Lurie about getting Jones his ship back. And Jones is like, well, that's going to take years. And Spock says it'll take 17.9 years to be exact. And Kirk is like, well, you can consider it job security. And uh, Jones reluctantly agrees to it, and he starts picking up the Tribbles and shoving them in his pockets what? as uh, Kirk and Spock leave. And uh, where are they going to put all these Tribbles at? Like, that's a lot right. of Tribbles. And, and, and that, then, like, and they're going to be reproducing as he's trying to get them. Therefore, yeah. he's never going to be able to catch up. I feel like that's a harsh penalty be making more. Yeah, he, 17.9 years is not enough. Look, you know what I would do, and it probably would not be the political thing to do, is, you know... Get everyone on the space station off. Open up like the doors and just let them all get sucked <laughs> just, down to yeah, space. Dump them out into space. Yep. <laughs> That's what I was yeah. thinking too. But um so we go uh to the Enterprise and it uh Kirk is he enters the bridge and Spock informs him that Starfleet was able to divert a freighter, and so Kirk says that that means that Sherman's planet is going to get their quadriticale in only a few weeks, but it'll it'll only be a few weeks late, so they're still gonna get it. Um, Kirk goes to sit in his chair, but he double checks to make sure that there's no trouble there. And he says that he doesn't see any around. And uh, McCoy says that he's not going to see them around. So Kirk asks McCoy, he's like, well, how did you do it? And Bones says that it was really Scotty that did it. And here comes what, like my favorite ending for a Star Trek show. This is so good. 
Uh, Scotty says that it was really Spock's recommendation. And Spock says that based on a computer analysis, taking into account the many different possibilities and Kirk interrupts him. And he's like, look, I just want to know where the tribbles are. So McCoy tells Spock, he's like, well, Spock, tell him. And Spock says, well, it was really Scotty that did the engineering. <laughs> Scotty reveals, like, Kirk gets kind of upset. He's like, look, I just want to know how you guys did this. And Kirk's like, well, I, or Scotty says, well, I used the transporter. And uh, Kirk's like, where were they transported? <laughs> I thought that he, like, spread them out into space like they just did with did, with, uh, did with Jack the Ripper. <laughs> That's where they were going. Actually, initially, I thought that Scotty was going to say, well, I found a way to use them for fuel and stuff them in the end. And we burnt the dribbles for fuel. I but found a way to use them for fuel. <laughs> yeah. Oh but my, that's not what happened. The violence, you guys. We got one guy wants to punt one. We got one guy wants to, wants to football spike one. And the guy wants to use them for fuel. What, well, if you got them, imagine. What is going on here? Listen. My goodness, If fellas. you could convert your engine to run on triple, you have a never-ending, self-sustaining <laughs> that's true. like fuel system oh that will not harm goodness. the planet. <laughs> yes. It's renewable. Yeah. Yeah, like if your planet is starving, you need something to eat, right? You're like, oh yeah, I want some triple nuggets. Yeah, you know, like oh, let's get a triple, let's get yeah, it to reproduce. Tri- we have, we can feed everybody. Imagine no, the no, good that triples would do for like nobody's poor starving planets. at all. We can also build clothes out of their fur. See, yeah, you know, exactly. Why not? They're the perfect animal for them. The alliance yeah. is for triples. Triple and nuggets, they, and triple re- belts. The rate of reproduction, like yeah, I mean, you're, you're not going to harm their species. And for ten for ten credit, I mean, that's just a bargain. Right. All, all you have to do is yeah. buy ten one. Cre- yes, exactly. Ten credits is nothing. They are the perfect animal. I'm sold on triples now. <laughs> you can oh, eat them, you can Don't wear worry. them, you can burn them There's for fuel. <laughs> burn them for fuel. <laughs> and if you're lonely, you can pet them. Oh, I'm on triple die. Don't you got like ten of them, bro? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you talking about, man? Yeah. Uh, but anyway... Uh, Scotty says that it would have been inhumane to transport them into space, and he says that he gave them to the Klingons. And he says that before the Klingons went into warp, he transported them all into the Warbird's engine room, and that there'll be no triple at all. And everyone laughs, and then they just continue on their journey. What, what a yes. great ending. So he definitely did be not no burn them. no triple at all. Yeah. I, I'm curious if they named triple because triple and trouble went together. They, like, I'm, they, I'm curious. they probably wrote the pun first, and then... Made the creature and then, just went with it, yeah. Because I did see that there was a different uh couple of names for the episode that had the word trouble, trouble, and triple uh fl- flip for each other. So you know, um, all right, so we are almost two hours into this recording, so let's get it wrapped up with the uh final Dude, thoughts. Dan, you want to start us on this one? Yeah, uh, honestly, this isn't my favorite episode, but I really like this episode. It was like I said earlier, it was a slice of life episode, a lot of fun. Uh, there's some questionable moments in it, but overall, I'd recommend it. To, you know, for someone to watch Star Trek if you haven't seen an episode. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much how I feel about it too. Like, it's I don't think it's the best one this season. It's it's definitely out there for a Star Trek episode. Like, they went more comedy, and I know they've done some comedy ones in the past, but this one was just like out downright goofy at sometimes. But definitely the best fight scene that we've had. Um, and uh, yeah, not terrible. I, I I enjoyed it. I I would watch it again. Honestly, I might watch it again just so I don't have to like stop every thirty seconds to take notes. So, yep, good good one for me, Paul. Uh, it got nominated for awards like best dramatic episode and everything over the years. Really? Um, honestly, I think it's slightly overrated. Like, I think the episode was good. Like, I'll give it like a seven or an eight. Good, 
but we've seen some episodes that have been incredible. Like, like this was good. Like this was good and okay. And I'm not knocking it. It just we've seen some incredible episodes this season. Like three four episodes this season have been like so amazing. We come here talking about like their masterpieces. Like and this isn't on that level. So I'm not sure why they consider top ten. I just think the cleverness of the com- keeping the comedy while the cleverness of the writing you can see by far. Especially when la- last episode we watched the writing was terrible. So like you can really see the difference between this episode and last episode where this is really really good writing. An episode was good, but I just think it was maybe it got hyped because it was written so well. But like uh, overall, though, I mean, it was OK. I did also saw that uh, we saw we had so much check off, by the way, because Sulu wasn't there because Takai uh, was filming the movie Green Berets. It's oh. a movie at the time. So that's why anytime you see uh, more check off and no Sulu is because Sulu was out filming his, uh, the movie during this time. So technically, so they're, 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 they're short leave. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's off filming, uh, filming a movie. So a lot of times, that's what I've been noticing. Like, like, like in notes I read, that anytime we don't see anybody, it's because they're out filming other stuff, and, and then they bring them back in here later on. So I'm assuming that uh, whatever people we're watching that we were worried about missing, are probably out filming something else. But overall, good episode, fun. I mean, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was. Uh, no, I mean, I have no complaints. Like I, I didn't waste my time. It was just, it was, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely prefer uh, the more high stakes episodes, but yeah, this one this one definitely has its merits. And sometimes you need like a lighthearted episode where it's not always super serious. Like, oh hey, this is just kind of a fun yeah. episode. Very lighthearted, very right. fun. Like I didn't waste my time. Like I, I, I was I was like, oh that was clever. Like oh, that was, that's what I thought a lot of times. I thought the whole time clever. Like oh that's yeah. clever. Oh that's clever. That was clever. That's cool. That's clever. It was, you know, it was like very episode with a lot of smart choices. So overall, you know. Not bad at all. I'd watch it again. I would never skip it. If I saw it again, I'd watch it on episode. I would never skip an episode. So, you know, good to go. I can't believe that this is going to be our longest episode so far this season is about the fucking triples. We're almost 10 minutes out from two hours. We kind of had two breaks in the middle. So maybe. Well, yeah, once those get cut out, though, that's only a couple minutes apiece. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Dang, I, I, when I edit this down, I'm probably, we're probably going to lose two and a half minutes top. Dude, I, my dude, there's no way, man. My notes, I had no notes for this episode. My notes are so short. It, it, yeah, and that's what makes it good because it was a fun episode, and we had fun with it. Yeah, yeah, too um, much fun. So the next episode is season two, episode sixteen, and I'm gonna murder this because there's a thousand ways they can pronounce the the last word of this one, but it is the Gamesters of Triskelion is how I'm gonna say. I like Triskelion. Sounds sounds good to me. Three and wait. Three disembodied beings wager on fights staged by prisoners abducted from around the galaxy. So it's Ooh. Battle Dome, baby. Yeah. So Star Trek Battle Dome. Fight. Let's go. I'm down for that hey, one. This, this will be exciting. Well, maybe we'll see Kirk, you know, Kirk fighting some people stronger than him. You know, Superman Kirk, the usual. No Spock, though. I, I hope Spock, Spock needs to be hurt or injured or something. Yeah, it's, it's they can't be make him fight. He would win. Yeah, exactly. It'll look, it'll look too messed up, so. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, that's going to do it for me this time. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening and sticking with us. And uh, I will see you on the next one. Hey, guys. uh, Thanks for listening to us. Uh, If you're day ones, we appreciate it. Also, uh, don't forget to hit us up on the Twitter, which is Uh, at WWST underscore podcast. Hit us up. We appreciate it. We enjoy you guys. uh, Comment on there. Make things for us. Uh, We enjoy you for your one of day ones. You've been this at the beginning. So uh, you heard the bad and the good. If you're one of the new. Uh, follow us around. We are up here every couple of weeks or so. We're just kind of, our schedule is kind of wild right now with summertime. We're trying to get things going again, but uh, hopefully uh, you stay with us and listen. So we enjoy.
Later.